When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, here we are in Vegas. Me and Trev just flew out to do a podcast with Dan Bilzerian. I'm guessing this is his house. The entryway is so vast that we don't even necessarily know where to go, but I guess we're just going to wander around until we find ourselves somebody who can usher us in here. Please do not ring doorbell. Okay. I'm going to obey that. I just texted him and said we're out the door. Okay, so we've been led into the basement area. If you wanna take a look around, you can see what I assume is an extremely expensive fish tank. We have right here a firearm that has more modifications than a PGF Nook video. We have some branded energy drinks. This one here that I chose, Blue Rasp Bills. I think I might put this on my Instagram story just for the subtle hint. Uh, what else we got? Oh, we have an extremely like old looking firearm there. This is the most complicated weed smoking device I think I've ever seen in my life. That one too, I guess. Is that, actually, these look like an art piece. Oh, that's that's not a gun. That's, that's a weed smoking thing too. <laughs> look, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy glass around here. Damn, you're definitely gonna want to film this cat. Oh. Hey, mister. Oh, that's a purebred. What's up, Jay? Taxi, but I didn't hear about oh, it's uh, no, no fucking service down here. Oh, all good, all good. Nice to meet you. So, uh, Dan has invited us to eat with him, so we're gonna see how the richest man in the world does it. You guys wanna do uh, chicken, shrimp, teppanyaki? Sure. Let's do it. Oh, okay. So, let's uh, take a little look around here. Look, we got the, the hotel style layout, all kinds of snacks that I would be eating right now if it wasn't for the delicious food that she's making. Very inspirational because when I went to Nick Cannon's office, that led me to getting the office that No Jumper just bought. And now I'm in this sick ass house, and it's kind of leading me down the mental path of like, oh, okay, I need to get a nicer house. Yeah. This was like, um, wow. This was, uh, this was a ice fucking hockey rink, whatever. So now mostly just use pickleball, to be honest. Sensitive, just walked in here. Huh? Yeah, so batting cage, airbag. Fuck. Okay. Go check out locked up there. Shit. Rock climbing wall in the crib? Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, people jump off this instead? Uh, yeah. Or onto we'll, that? Well, don't jump. Yeah, that's, that's not inflated right now. <laughs> oh, okay. I think some fucking chick jumping there uninflated, broke her leg in three places. Shit. Xbox and then shit here. Wow, that's sick, too. This is nuts. Fucking man cave. 
crazy. Yeah, I thought I'd been to a, some nice houses, but I, I guess this takes the cake. This whole room custom, or was this here before you came in? So, there was a batting cage in the golf simulator, but everything else I built out for oh. a couple million bucks. And how much was the property worth? Like, how much did you spend on it? I actually fucking stole this thing, dude. He spent 24 million building it. Um, like, did all the shit. And I think I picked up like 10. Wow. Yeah. 10 is crazy. I know. Fucking the build cost of this thing now is five acres. And, yeah. and, you know, like there's, a, like I said, another RV garage over there. I got the RV in that one. Yeah, that was my first thing with BMX. I did that for like 20 years. Oh, do you remember like the movie Rad and shit? Yeah, I interviewed that dude at one point, but uh, that was like before I got into it. But yeah, so they bring out the bunkers and then uh, usually play at night, like in the summer. It's so fucking hot. Turn all the lights. And, so I haven't used this fucking track in a while. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, holy it's shit. That's fucking badass though. You're hitting this? I have not fucking oh. dropped off this, no. <laughs> I'm like, damn. Nope. The only guy that's done that was the guy that built the track. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world, and today we're on set with Dan Bilzerian. We came all the way to Vegas to do it. Dan, how you living? Good, man. Good. We've been uh, trying to do this for a minute, so. you hit, or I had hit you up years ago. You hit me back and said, if you read my book, I'll do your podcast. Yeah. I was like, all right. I feel like it just, you know, it gets deeper. You know, the questions are better, I think. Because um, I've done a lot of podcasts before. Well, not a lot, but actually probably not very many at all for, you know, somebody that's, you know, somewhat well known. But I felt like when I, when they had read the book, it was just such a better conversation, you know, like you just, they could go deep into stuff that they wanted to. And then the, the interviews had diversity too. Before it was like, everybody asked me the same fucking questions, you know, and it was just, uh, I don't know. I felt like it wasn't as interesting. So, yeah, no, I feel like that. I mean, respect to the podcasters who don't have time in their life to read a 400 page book, but I feel like it's kind of like disrespectful to the person you're interviewing. If you had just made a movie, I would watch the movie. If you wrote a book, it's like, I'm trying to go past what's already out there, elaborate upon it. One of the, uh, you know, I love Joe Rogan, but I remember listening to him interview Edward Snowden and everything Edward Snowden was saying was like, oh, like this is in the book. You haven't read the book, huh? Oh, and it's like, you know, it's like they would have been operating on a even playing field if Joe had read the book before. And I feel like that's just kind of bare minimum if you want to do good content. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Um, you know, Logan fucking never read any books and then he read it and i thought we had a really good podcast because of that yours is his first book in his life it was one of them like i don't think he had read big mics and then all in the comments was just you know like oh you didn't fucking read his and whatever and um yeah i mean i know it's a big ask because fuck man yeah the book was like 498 pages or some shit but uh it was, it was really honest, you know, and it was just, uh, it was raw and it was kind of like, you know, if you want to fucking know how I got from here to here, you know. That so that's was... a peek into the life of Logan Paul, who's like good looking, athletic, popular, got girls, blew up on YouTube when he was young, 
why would you need to read a book? Yeah. Must yeah. be nice. Yeah, we had a very different um, kind of come up. So, but you know, I, I respect him. He's evolved a lot, you know? Like, I mean, fuck. It's hard. It's hard handling fame at that young age and money and all that stuff and juggling it and not, you know, turning out into to a total fucking retard, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's interesting seeing how his brother went the, the dark side role, the Floyd Mayweather role instead. Yeah. It was interesting. It was interesting watching it, too, because I saw what he was doing, and it was like, you know, he's basically, like, playing the villain. And I'm like, that's going to sell... I mean, I had this conversation with him. I was like, you know, you're going to sell fucking tickets, but if you lose, like, it, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, if you make everybody hate you and then you fucking lose. So he, you know, fuck, man, he went all in on that. And I respect it, you know, to have, like, big success, you have to, you know, take fucking risks. And I feel like he did take risks doing what he did um, and basically just, like, embracing the asshole. Right. Do you feel like you're doing that to a certain extent? Um, to start playing the villain, stop trying to be what the mainstream wants you to be, what's considered marketable. I definitely never did that. I definitely never, never try to be marketable. Um, I would say that I probably advertise my worst side. I wouldn't say that I play it up too much. I think he kind of plays it up. Like he's more of a shit talker and this and that. And I kind of just like never publicized any like the charity stuff I did or any of that stuff. So I feel like I leaned into kind of like my hedonistic stuff, which doesn't make you a bad guy, but it doesn't make you a good guy either, you know? And it's certainly something that, you know, a lot of people probably, you know, look down on or whatever. Um, from a religious standpoint or morality standpoint, whatever, I'm sure you, you know, get similar stuff. But um, I think his is a little different, like I said, because I think he just kind of like positioned himself, like calling people out, talking shit. I never really did that. I just kind of, you know. Yeah, you never leaned on the beef thing. But with Jake Paul, like when I see him picking the fight with Dana White, even though I like Dana White and I like everything he's created, but I'm like, that's a pretty good fight for him to pick, you know? Pick the side of the workers. It's going to be one that elicits a lot of sympathy, regardless of of if you're right or not. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's worked. He got attention, you know, Dana White, um, you know, I think he ignored it for a while and then he kind of had to acknowledge it. And once he acknowledged it, then, you know, now you've got a two-sided beef and the media loves that. So I think, you know. Because we're in a different state of mind where I, I find myself tending to empathize with the billionaire more. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I I see both sides of it. Um you know, I, uh, you know, you see the business side where it's like, you know, the goal of running a business is to make the most amount of fucking money, you know, and then, which is what Jake wants to do too. So it's a little hypocritical, you know, to call him out. Cause I think if Jake was in his position, he'd probably be trying to make the fucking max. Um, and anyone who runs a business knows that there's a shitload of hidden costs that the world doesn't see. The world might see the box office coming in. They don't know about every dollar you spend on security and God knows what to make all of this happen. So they just assume that the fighters should get a bigger chunk than they are. When in reality, most of those fighters aren't really bringing they're basically interchangeable from the perspective of Dana. Well, and I think that's probably the biggest risk to the UFC is their interchangeability. Like, I feel like back in the day, there was guys that like stayed on top for longer and you built a story and you kind of like got attached to these guys. But now everybody's so fucking good that it's like people don't stay on top as long. Um, but with respect to the, you know, the business side of it, I think there's also a piece of it too, where 
you know, that initial startup capital is that's the risky capital. You know what I mean? Like that initial money that you got to put in that people don't see, you know, that's, you know, that the investors put in who, you know, probably have the majority stake in the business. You know, I think Dana's only got, you know, 10%, which 10% is still a lot of that business. But the point is that those guys that put in that risky capital, you know, they got to get a big reward. It's like, you know, angel investors and, you know, whatever. It's, you know, like Shark Tank sort of shit. I mean, they're putting in their money you know, initial investments in, you know, and in, in, in companies usually have a higher, you know, risk, but, you know, you have a high upside too. But so you start taking away that upside and then it's like, you know, not as favorable of an investment. And I think initially the UFC was, I mean, it's a pretty risky endeavor. You know, it's like, is TV going to fucking allow this? Or, you know, are we going to be able to get mainstream with that? And I think initially the thought was no fucking chance, you know, now it's like hiding size 2020. But yeah, I mean, dude, I watched UFC one. I thought it was awesome. It when was I like, first got into it, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I went from the beginning and was just watching every single fight. And there was like shockingly bad ones, shockingly like not enjoyable ones. And then there was just some of the craziest shit you ever seen. And then you just slowly watch it evolve. Like, cause I literally went online and just downloaded all of them and watched them back to back, like the first hundred. Yeah. And it was surreal watching it evolve, you know? Yeah, I remember, man. It was like, you know, these guys, they didn't even have, like, fighting styles. Some of them, it was, like, fucking bar fighting was, like, listed as, as their specialty. But, yeah, it was... Uh, and then they didn't have rounds, either. It was, like, no rounds, no fucking... No real rules. You kick to the nuts, pull hair. I mean, it was... A lot of groin punching. Yeah. And it's funny, because, like, back then, guy gets hit in the nuts fucking eight times. He, like, barely flinches. Now it's like if he gets a cup shot, he's fucking on the ground. That guy you're thinking of, the Asian dude who got punched in the nuts a bunch of times in, like, the third one... He was the dude in Austin Powers who threw the shoe <laughs> and then also is right now in prison for a gang rape. That's crazy. Yeah. So he's lived quite a life. Um, so we're out here during EDC. I believe it starts tomorrow. What do you think? Because I'm, I'm 38 and I feel a little old for the whole festival scene. I was curious about the fact that you're still uh, subjecting yourself to this after all these years. Yeah, it's really not my style, man. I'm not really too much into the clubs and that sort of stuff anymore either. Um, it's actually, uh, I don't know, my buddy wanted to do it. I was kind of bored. My girl was like super stoked on it and I haven't really like been out in a while. So figured I could take some G and fucking do one night of EDC. You still like the G, huh? I do, man. That was like all I got fucked up on in high school. And then I kind of like stopped doing it for a while. I was doing Quaaludes for a bit, ran out of those. I've always been trying to like steer away from alcohol because it just, it fucks me up. Like I can't sleep. I can't fuck it. Like if I drink a bunch, I can't fuck. It's like, what am I doing it for? I'm going out to get pussy. And then it's like, I get the pussy. It's like cocaine. It's like even worse. Like can't eat, sleep or fuck with that. It's like, I don't know, man. I never, never understood it, but I guess, yeah, like I said, for me, I was always trying to like find an alternative to drinking because it just didn't affect me very good. You ever try to lean? Uh, I've done Percocets. I think that's the not so far off. Similar, and then yeah, the promethazine I think is just for anti-nausea, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, you ever mix it with soda and just like walk around the house with a double cup? No, but I could see my. I mean, I would do it. I just yeah, I haven't. Really. <laughs> I went through like a, a two-month period back in the day in the valley where I was hanging out with these crusty-ass porn stars, and I would go over and they would have the G. And I had a few different sexual encounters where I would be like, you know, barely fucking existing, just all sloppy and falling all over the place. And they because still fuck. Yeah, and it was fun, <laughs> yeah. but it was weird because I would be trying to explain it to people, and I'd be like, "So it's basically the date rape drug," and they'd be like, "Why would you do that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. These girls gave it to me, and they 
said it would be fun and then it was fun yep yeah man i yeah it was uh it was always for me kind of it was similar to drinking i was just happier and i could fuck you know great on it it felt good so how long you been in this relationship that you're talking about right now so um i met this girl i think in december we hooked up and um then i went to thailand i took a few girls she was one of the girls and then initially i was just you know i was fucking each girl every day so it was like i had to have sex three times i was like i was free diving i want to work out i want to do muay thai and all this shit and um it's just like a lot you know i just like didn't want to have the obligation then if i didn't fuck one of them then she was upset it was this whole fucking like weird dynamic where i just i think i brought like the wrong number of girls like two sucks because anytime you're fucking one the other one's sitting on her ass like you know jealous and then you know one is fine if she's like a cool enough chick that you can tolerate being around her a lot and then the larger group is you know it's probably better up to a certain point because you know as you fucking read in the book like you take it too far but you said three and then eight were the ideal numbers right yeah yeah well you know and, and in between there is okay it's just like you know that like two is a bad number two uh, is inherent competitions like yeah. a fucking ufc match to win your dick but then you get to eight, and all of a sudden, it's like a crowd. Yeah, eight. So there's pros and cons of, like, every number as you get higher, right? Like, eight is so is nice because, like, when you're, you know, pluck one off from the herd and banger, like, nobody notices, you know? So there's and, – and then there's also, like, you know, such a scarcity of dick that these chicks are, like, just stoked to get banged, you know, when they do. And they don't expect it every day because they know there's so many. So there is pros of that, but then you're also just like running around with a fucking like entourage of, of girls all the time, which, you know, look like, I, you know, I mean, I had a pretty bad sex addiction. So for me, it was like, I didn't, it's like, you know, I guess if you got a really bad Coke addiction and you got to fucking hang out with a bunch of fucking Coke whores, like you'll do it. You don't, you know what I mean? Or drug dealers or whatever, you know, the, the, uh, the equivalent would be like, you know, you have, I mean, if you have a sex addiction, you have to be around a bunch of fucking girls, right? So, like, I just got used to it. And because that was so important to me, I didn't even, like, really look at it as being that big of a fucking deal. But when I started, like, just focusing on doing more shit, like, you know, it, it, there's a point in the book when I, you know, the yacht. When I was there and I had 27 fucking girls and I, like, couldn't keep up with it. Always thought more was better. And I got to this point where... It just wasn't. And I realized, like, okay, like, I've gone to the end of the fucking road with this, and this isn't really, like, what's going to make me happy. So I need to kind of, like, shift focus and do something else. And it was, you know, hanging out with my boys, like, surfing more off-road and doing just shit that I like to do. And um, so back to Thailand, you know, I was like, I I don't know, man. I just, you know, I sent a couple of the girls home, and I was just, like, happy, you know, hanging out with her and um, just focusing more on like the free diving and all the shit that I wanted to do, you know? But do you think it was more because she was something special or was it the fact that you had just found yourself at the point in your life where you needed a change? Because I wonder that about me and my girl sometimes. It's like, how much of it was her versus the fact that I had just found myself ready to stop my lifestyle that I was in? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think... A lot of times it's multifaceted. Sometimes it's more one than the other, but it's definitely like it has to be right place, right time. Because I've definitely had points in my life when I've like been banging and hanging out with like really fucking cool chicks that I would have in another time and place dated, but I just wasn't in that headspace, you know? And like, you know, for instance, that girl, um, Victoria in the book, she was, you know, a fucking awesome chick. And like, had the time have been right, like I would have 
updated her for sure. No, no questions asked, but I was like just blowing up. I had made a fucking shitload of money and I like had the opportunity to be a rock star. And like, you know, when I was a kid, I want to be a fucking rock star. Right. So I got this opportunity and it's like, last thing I want to do is now just like get into another relationship. And I had gotten out of one. So I think a lot of it is just timing, you know, and I go in like, I, I go in cycles too. Like I'll be, you know, single and fucking going crazy for a while. And then I'll just be like, okay, like I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And like, there's been girls that I've like dated that weren't even like that amazing. I was just so tired of this shit that like, you know, I mean, they were cool. I liked having sex with them, but I, it, they weren't really the focal point. It was more just like hanging with my buddies and they were there. Cause you know, I mean, I could have sex with them. They didn't cause any problems and whatever. So, um, yeah, I think, like I said, I think it's, really for, for me anyways it's it's a lot dependent on like where i'm at like in my head you know like do i want to focus on girls because if if i'm single and i want to do it right i'm dating a lot of fucking girls and that just takes a lot of your time like if you're not paying them like i actually like and i've said this before i envy guys that pay girls because they just don't deal with any of this fucking headache right. like they get what we want right like get they get sex and they don't care that it's like paid for i could never do that I, it, it always felt like yeah. the thing i was after was like the approval of the girl like yeah. she likes me enough that she wants me to put my dick in her 100 percent. i'm i'm with you man i i couldn't agree more but like i said that's why i'm envious is because because of you know our desire to have that we have to put up with all this fucking extra bullshit um, that we wouldn't otherwise have to do if, if it was just about the sex. Uh, how, how loud is the demon in the back of your head that's telling you to get some new pussy, though? After all these years, is he still just back there screaming? Oh, he's always back there. You know, it's just <laughs> honestly like a big thing, too, is, is like is situational. Like when I'm around a bunch of hot pussy, I obviously like think about it more, right? Like, but I'm, I'm in fucking Thailand. I'm hanging with my boys and we're doing fucking Muay Thai and there's no fucking hot pussy around. Like... Eh, I don't really think I miss it as much, but if I'm hanging out at my house and I got fucking eight big titty girls fucking bobbing around in the pool and fucking drinking and shit and fucking running around topless, then it's like, okay, now we're thinking about pussy again. You just, it's kind of like, it's like being an alcoholic and living in a bar. You know? It's like, it's going to be a lot harder there than if, you know, you're out in the fucking mountains. I think, I think, yeah, temptation has a lot to do with it. I'm like that with weed where, like, anytime I try to stop smoking blunts, I just go back into my office and all the fucking editors and the filmers, everybody's just hanging out smoking and it's just right back in it. Yeah, weed is super addictive. And I've said this before, I I struggle with that. I'm actually, like, trying to quit right now, but it's fucking hard. Because, I like, for so many years of my life, it's like every day I'm high. And it's like a part of my life for like a long time. I think for like three years, I didn't, I went three years without having sex one time sober. Like I was high every time I had sex. Like, and I didn't want to work out if I, like, I don't know. It was just a thing. Like I just got it programmed in my mind. Like I didn't want to do it if I wasn't high. And so, yeah, I'm trying to like wean off of it. It's tough. But it's, it's the same thing as the pussy thing where it's like smoking is part of your business, part of your marketing at a certain point. And it's like kind of, becomes a blurry line between just doing it for because you want to and doing it because that's kind of like the business that you're building around yourself. Although I'm sure that Ignite sales aren't going to really be impacted by you not smoking. Well, believe it or not, we're actually not selling any fucking cannabis anymore. Oh, that's totally over. Yeah. So we're, I'm, we're straight nicotine. Like, dude, we did 48 million in sales last quarter and just in fucking nicotine. Like, yeah. So nicotine is, and it's blowing up like South America is fucking going crazy. We're going to the EU. We're in Armenia, Russia. Like it's like, 
Because the beauty of that is I can now capitalize on my audience, which is 80% international. Like before with weed, it's like, fuck, we're in like two states. We're catering to like, you know, and every time I do a post, it's like dropping a fucking atomic bomb on an anthill. It's like we're getting all this fallout we get no benefit for. Whereas the vape, man, it's like you can ship that anywhere. Like vape is pretty much legal everywhere. And even if it's not legal, there's like people that are buying it in legal places and then bringing it to like Brazil, for instance, like. I think we're doing like 10 million a month in Brazil alone. And it's not even legal in Brazil. They buy it in Paraguay and then they bring it to Brazil. And it's going to be legal there. They're, they're, you know, working on the legislation now, but like, you know, there's big markets that, you know, and it's not, you know, it wasn't really so much like that with weed. Like they didn't, you know, I don't know. I, I just, the weed business is, is really rough because the black market is such a strategic advantage, not paying any taxes, not having to test their shit, not losing crops, not having to package it. And, and just in the packaging process alone, you're losing like two weeks of freshness. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a really bad business model. I don't think there's too many people out there right now making a lot of money on the legal weed market. Everybody thought it was like the new gold rush, but because of all the regulations, it's just fucking. Everybody I know who's in that business is just kind of biding their time, maybe waiting for it to get better. Everybody's doing sneaky shit on the black market. It's like no real way to get by without it. And we couldn't do that because we we're a public company. So it's like, but yeah, you're exactly right. The black market was really like where the money was at. Um, but they're right to bide their time because once it goes federally legal, any of these brands that have survived this time, you know, like, like burner, like cookies, I think he's going to crush it, but like, it just has to go federal. Like you have, cause otherwise you can't like really establish a brand If every state, you have to have a separate license, a separate grow. It's like, it's just too much. Whereas if you can grow it in one place and then just send it out now the brand's got continuity. You know what I mean? Like you got the same product that's going all these different places as opposed to, because, you know, in, in one grow, you could grow the same strain with the same fucking grower and have slight differences between just batch to batch, let alone in a whole different fucking state and a whole different, you know, like weed grown in Nevada is going to be different than weed grown in Cali and, you know, so on and so forth. So, and with the regulations now, like you can't even like bring the strains across state lines. So it's just, like I said, really bad. Business so you have model. a plan in place for when it goes federally legal or when you start to feel the murmurs of that? Um, I think they already tried to pass it. I think like, didn't the Senate or the House or somebody pass it and then it's got to go somewhere else? I, I'm not sure. I think it's going to take a little time. Um, but you look at like Canada and they're federally legal, but they're still kind of in the same boat because like they can't have any brand package. Like their package has to be like a like a brown thing. It can't even have a fucking logo on there. Like our logo wasn't legal up there because it's a goat head. It's just all this crazy shit. And then you have to sell it to the government. And then I don't know. It's a whole. It's very strange. It's kind of shocking how bad they've managed to make this for everybody, and how it's still the money is being made by the criminals. Yeah, it's it's really shocking. You know, you would think that they would want you know a piece of this fucking pie, but they just. I don't know. They're just giving up a bunch of money and, and yeah, giving it to the criminals because, you know, when they don't tax it, who gets the benefit of that? The criminal is selling on the black market and then they're not going after them. So it's, yeah, it's a little strange. Right. What, uh, so you were supposed to put your book out through Simon and Schuster, right? Well, so I, I did the book. So you wrote it and turned it in and that's what I'm interested in. What were the notes like from that? (laughs) Okay. So, well, it was actually two books. So in 2016, I, um, you ever read Hope This Herb Beer in Hell? Oh, the Tucker Max book. Yeah. yeah, 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 I did. So I read that in college and I thought it was fucking hilarious. And I was like, okay, like I want this guy to write my book. And, and I had him do my book. Like not Tucker Max, but the guy that wrote Tucker, Ghost Road or whatever helped him. Um, 
this guy Nils, I think it was. And uh, anyways, he, you know, it was a funny book. It was good. It was just not my voice, you know. And like, and, and my my stories were like the opposite of Tucker Max. Mine were like super fucking crazy, really over the top, like factually. But because of that, like, I couldn't tell it in a braggy tone because it's kind of like if you take somebody to your fucking garage and you got like, you know. 12 fucking Rolls Royces and you're like bragging about your fucking Rolls Royces all day and then they see him. It's like, it's not as like cool as if they just like stumble in there. It's like sometimes like when something's like super fucking over the top or super badass, like subtlety is better, you know, or like not like overselling it. Whereas his stories were like pretty normal bar stories. Like, you know, went out of the bar, but he got drunk. He fucked the fat chick. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like anything like on a, on a, like on a, just like on the merit of the story, but the way he told it was funny. I remember there was one story, because I used to read his blog in like 2003 before I even had a book, I think. And, and one of the stories is like, he's fucking a chick in the ass. She blasts shit all over him and his friend is hiding in the closet watching. And his friend busts out of the closet, puking everywhere. And the girl obviously didn't know this guy's in the closet. And when I think about that story through my like 2022, I don't want a BuzzFeed article written about me lens. I'm like, wow, that story really reads different these days. Even though, like, if that happened to one of my friends, it would just be, yeah, of course. Yeah. No, no. Well, that was a, that was an example of a more over-the-top story of his, which, you know, was fucking great. I remember that. Right. But it's self-deprecating. Yeah, it's self-deprecating. And it's, you know, it, and he told it in a really funny way. It just, you know, like I said, for mine, I, I didn't feel like it worked, you know, because I felt like I had, like, I had shown everybody what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was like, I had done it for a long long time and you know a picture's worth a thousand words kind of thing and i'd done the videos and it's like i'd been doing it for a while that it felt like i didn't i don't know i just didn't feel I, i'm not i don't know my instagram is probably not a great representation but i'm not generally like that braggy of a guy i mean i chose to fucking you know set up an instagram where it was like you know bucket list thing of just bragging you know right so it's a little counterintuitive but in general um I don't know. I don't think like beating your chest and bragging is as cool as just kind of like telling the fucking story how it was like the story. I, I felt like the story on its merits and alone was, you know, interesting enough. And I felt like it was more believable and just a fucking normal tone. So I, I like the guy's writing style. It just didn't fit my story. So anyways, he wrote this whole book and, um, and I just, yeah, I trashed it. So I, you didn't even I, show that to the publisher. You just said, I fuck this. Saw it. I think, I think people liked it. Like it would have done well, you know, probably would like my audience probably would have liked it. I just didn't want it to be my legacy, you know? Um, and so I just gave them their money back and, um, and then kind of like, just, just kind of, you know, put the project on ice. Didn't really think about it. Just went back to doing my thing. And, um, it wasn't until, you know, 2020 or whatever, maybe the end of 19, I forget what, I think it was 2020. Like I was in quarantine and Goggins was training with me and I ended up reading his book and fucking guy told me he made like 30 million on the thing or like some crazy number. Wow. Um, and I read his book and it was a lot of like similar stuff to mine, like the seal training and all that. And I just felt like, you know, my story, you know, was similar. And then I had some other stuff that I felt like pretty dynamic and appealing to guys. And I kind of always wanted to tell the story. So I was like, well, fuck it. I got nothing else to do. I'll just write this goddamn thing myself. And so I bit off a lot more than I could fucking chew, but I finished. But how soon after that did you do the, the tweet where you asked for potential book titles? Because I think maybe you didn't even realize how many detractors you had out there uh, who, were, who were just patiently waiting to dunk on you until then. No, there's a lot. I mean, there's never been any shortages of those, man. Um, yeah, it was always like a pretty divisive you know controversial 
character, I would say. Um, just because I, 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 you know, I was just really like unapologetic about stuff. And, um, and I don't know, the things that I was doing, um, I guess like wasn't really that socially acceptable, not to mention like when I would do the captions, it was kind of like a lot of times it was a fuck you added on top of it. Um, and so, yeah, I've had haters for a while. Um, I think maybe more so recently, but um, they've always been there, you know? But you think the world has just kind of changed around you? Because, like, in the early days of social media, I don't really remember there being much blowback about you posting the kind of stuff you were posting because social media was so new that in, like, 2013 or whatever, when we first started to really see your Instagram post, people didn't really... Like, this wasn't really considered offensive to just be hanging out with a bunch of hot chicks and then time goes by and all of a sudden this just is viewed as, like, offensive? Well, I think the quarantine was, like, a major shift. Like, I think it was, like, a fucking, like, a pivot. Like, it wasn't, like, a slow... It was, like, an about face. It was, like, man, everything got turned on its head, you know? And so... So much anger built up and they were just looking for a target for it to go to. Yeah, I've never seen as much hostility and canceling and this and that. It's like, you know, but that's what happens, man. You lock a bunch of people in their fucking houses, take away their fucking freedoms. You know, don't let them work out. Don't let them get in the sun. Fucking, you know, don't have them go to work. They're not doing shit. I mean, that's really like the problem with with society today in general is that people aren't like doing enough. So like, and that causes anxiety. Like, so you have this phone, which has got all this stimulus. You've got TVs, you've got all this shit. That's massive mental stimulus but no physical stimulus, right? So your mind is being stimulated at this massive rate, but you're not doing anything physically. So then when you put that phone down, when you stop, you know, watching fucking TV or whatever, you have this need for this much stimulus, but it's gone, right? And, and you haven't burned off, like you, you work out. So like, you know, you go for a fucking, you know, six mile run or you go fucking work out an hour in the gym or whatever it is that you do. After that, you're fucking way more relaxed, right? Like, you know, when I do a sauna and then I do an ice bath and a sauna, I'm fucking, dude, I'm calm as a cucumber, right? So I, I think that people just, you know, especially, you know, during quarantine, they just didn't do anything. So like, they've got all this energy because the human body is made to like, you know, be walking all day or doing shit, not just like sitting in a fucking house. So when you don't do anything, and then you're like overstimulating your mind. I think it's just like a recipe for anxiety, for fucking, you know, anger, for all these things because it needs some kind of an outlet, you know, and it's not getting it physically. So they always say on Twitter that the goal is to not become the villain of the day. And I remember during quarantine is when I first started to feel like if I cannot get canceled or not have a huge group of people pile on me today or this week, that's a big W because I'm seeing it happen to fucking everybody else around me, especially people who are white in a position of privilege who have money. It's just, it was a very treacherous time. Yeah. On Twitter specifically. It's yeah, it is a wild time. It's like, it's, it's, they've almost made it like a crime to be white now. It's like the strangest fucking thing. Um, and it happened so fast too. Is this, I don't know. I don't know if it was like kind of a, a, you know, a, a ploy to like this coup of Trump or whatever the fuck it was. But man, it's just like, I felt like 2019 was like the least racist fucking period in like my lifetime anyways that I ever saw. Like when I was growing up in high school, there was some racism. Like it's honestly like probably more from the blacks than the whites. I mean, there's like a cracker day where black kids would beat up fucking white kids. I got shot at for being fucking white in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like I was like trying to buy drugs, you know, <laughs> like, and, uh, 
But you know, so but it was it was you know it was both sides. I mean, like you know, it was it would go back and forth. Then I joined the military, and it was like you know people would like talk shit and whatever. But it was like never anything serious, you know. And it wasn't like any like real division. Like everybody's like on the same fucking team, but would talk shit just like guys talk shit, you know. And uh, and then I feel like I feel like it by like fuck man, like 2015, 2010, it was like pretty much like totally gone. But 2019, it was like I didn't even like consider race at all. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, and, and then flash forward two years, it's like, you can't see a fucking article without like the fucking headline focusing on race. Like everything is like race driven. It's like, it's just really weird to me. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of gone past the point of like an important racial reckoning to like, let's just make everything viewed through this lens. I was watching this Abercrombie documentary on Netflix and I mean, it was just shocking to me, like how they managed to frame everything about Abercrombie in the sense of like, this was a evil white corporation and they were saved because now they have these multicultural ads, which that's nice and everything. But it also like, it doesn't look like an Abercrombie ad anymore. It looks like every other fucking store in the mall, you know? I think it's two things, man. I think it's like this need for acceptance. Like people want to be on like the right side and everybody's like so scared of this, so scared of that. So like, you know, this like safe narrative comes out, which is like, oh, you know, like I'm sorry for being white. Like let's help these people that have been oppressed, whatever. Like, and so that like, who can argue with that, right? Like that's the safe thing to say. So everybody like wants to be safe. So they jump on that. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's just, uh, I think it's just fucking nonsense, to be honest with you. Um, but I watched it all happen, and it was, like, it was very surprising. Like, and then it got to the point where, like, it was just this battle. Like, everybody was, like, so mad about this, so mad about that. And then, like, overcompensating, like, you know, Coca-Cola is, like, teaching people to be less white. It's just, like, weird. It's, like, weird shit. And it's, like, you know, the, the goal is just to, like, have race not come into the equation it's like that shouldn't be like you shouldn't hire anybody based on race you shouldn't not hire anybody based on race you shouldn't you know what i mean like the the goal of like equality and not having racism is just that it's not a consideration right like when you go to fucking you know like hire somebody date somebody be friends with somebody whatever like if you're considering their race that by definition is racist, right? Like, right, like we should want to live in a world where your race is just as important as your hair color. Yeah, exactly. But it's that, like, yeah. that notion is considered kind of offensive in a lot of, a lot of social circles now. But I also feel like there's kind of like a, a more of an understanding of like, okay, anybody who would get offended by me saying that your race should be as important as your hair color, I don't really give a fuck about your opinion of me. You know, that's just, it's so clear. And I mean, I've seen a crazy graph documenting support of the average American for Black Lives Matter. And it spiked up like crazy during the George Floyd shit and then plummeted lower than it was in the first place. So I feel like in some ways it was like an extreme overcorrection that for the average American didn't really take in the long run. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the pendulum, you know, swung, but then the problem is it goes, you know, the further it swings this way, the further it kind of like goes back and, you know, hopefully it ends up in the fucking middle. Um, I mean, you know, shit's coming out now. It's like, okay, you know, BLM is, you know, they were fucking funneling money. They're fucking taking advantage of this, taking advantage of that. You know, it's like, you know, the time, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I learned early on is I would make judgments based on people before I met them or before I had the full story. And now it's like, I wait, you know, cause I, you know, you read the headline like, oh, you know, this fucking unarmed, you know, guy got shot in the fucking back by this cop or whatever. And then I watch, I would literally watch like the whole 50 minute fucking arrest thing. And it's like, 
The guy was a f- fucking asleep in the drive-through line, hammer drunk. The cop was actually like, pretty nice to him. He's like, hey, like, you pull over here. The guy fucking like jumps the fucking curb, ends up in the fucking grass, can't even park the car. Clearly fucked up, doesn't know what city he's in. You know what I mean? Like lying about saying he only had one drink. And he said he had one and a half drinks. Couldn't remember what drinks he had. It was just like, you know, the guy's clearly fucked up, right? Cop has him do the sobriety test. It was this whole like drawn out crazy thing. I feel like if it was me, I would have been arrested first fucking 10 minutes. But whatever. The guy like ends up going for the fucking cop's gun, grabs his taser, shoots the cop with his own taser. And then the cop shoots him or whatever. It's like, to me, I'm like, okay, if I fucking attack a cop, if I go for his fucking gun and I get shot, like, I'm not going to be fucking crying about it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, oh, the guy had a fucking raw deal. It's like, well, you know, I probably wouldn't fucking attack a cop when I'm fucking, you know. But like, when you want to look at why the average American doesn't trust mainstream media, it's stuff like that where they're sort of sold on an idea of it that later gets corrected. And realistically, the only people who are correcting the record on something like that are usually people who are more on the right side of the media and so then they end up not believing anything CNN says at a certain point, you know? Yeah, it's a weird thing. I would say I was more liberal um, than conservative. I mean, in almost everything. I mean, you know, fucking smoke weed. I, I don't really believe, you know, I, I believe in less laws. I think, you know, people should have more freedoms. I mean, all this stuff. Um, but it just seems like, man, the left just really like lost their fucking mind. They kind of just like went so far that it's almost like, I don't know, growing up, I never would have thought that I would like consider myself conservative. Right. Because <laughs> like, I look at conservative, like, that's like my fucking, you know, like, fucking grandfather. Like, this is not, that was just never my views. But it's like, now it's like almost like, it's just like, they're the logical ones. And then these other people are just these emotionally fueled fucking nuts, you know? The Republicans becoming the party of like free speech and and being more, I don't want to say being more open-minded, but like they've done a very good job of branding themselves at that. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's the thing is like the fucking, the Democrats are like, you know, all about acceptance and, you know, your body, your choice. And all, they say all these things, but then it's like, okay, when the fucking vaccine came out, now it's not your body, your choice. You know, it's like, okay, like, are, are you about acceptance and fucking, you know, freedom of belief? Or is it like everything that doesn't go along with what you fucking believe gets censored? You know what I mean? It's like they're saying one thing and then doing another. So I think people are seeing the hypocrisy and that's really what's kind of like, I, I think that's what's shifting it back is people are just seeing that, you know, it's just, it's clear hypocrisy. They're not practicing what they preach. But there's a few things that I can't get past. Like I can't get past them trying to make abortion illegal. I can't get past the fact that Trump clearly said that he wouldn't submit to a peaceful transfer of power if he lost the election and all the efforts to to overturn the election and stuff. It's like, even though the Republican thing seems a little appealing to me at times, I still, there's like a bunch of issues that I have a hard time getting past, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, a woman should be able to decide if she wants to have a kid or not and not be like saddled with a kid for the rest of her life. I think the world's fucking overpopulated. I think, you know, all these fucking, you know, people are like, oh my God, it's murder and this and that. It's like, okay, motherfucker, we got 8 billion fucking people. We don't need fucking nine. We don't need 10. Like, and the problems that we get from people being forced to have kids that they don't really want are probably much more extreme than the problems. That kid ends up in foster care. He ends up fucking without a dad. It's like, those are the people that have the highest incidence of crime. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, man. I think you're, you know, breeding issues by doing that, by having a mother have a kid that she doesn't fucking want. Like, you shouldn't have a kid unless you're, like, ready to, like, care for that fucking child. So it's like, to me, I don't remember anything when I was in the fucking womb. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I, if I got fucking killed and I came back in a fucking another life or whatever the fuck happened, like... 
you know, whatever. I don't fucking remember it. Just, you know, like a fucking chicken when they fucking, you know, when I eat chicken eggs, like, I don't think that, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. I, I, but listen, I respect everybody's opinion. If somebody, you know, is, you know, super against abortion. Okay, fine. But I think, like I said, I think women should have the fucking choice. It's like, you don't, you shouldn't be fucking saddled the kid if you don't want, if you get fucking raped, like there's a lot of, you know, extenuating circumstances, right? Like, um, and so, but you know, like I said, man, that's my opinion. I could see the other side of that. I don't agree with it. I, I think women should have the fucking choice, but I, I could see it. You know what I mean? I could see that argument. That's, that's, that's an example of a rational argument on both sides. Like, okay, these people have their beliefs, whether it's religion or whatever, you know, they think it's a, you know, it's a beating heart. It's a human being. I get it. Okay, fine. You know, let them have the fucking, you know, discussion. I don't really like, that was never really one I got too caught up in. Um, but man, censorship is one that I'm pretty passionate about. I mean, I think, I mean, fuck man, that's, that's how you had fucking, you know, Hitler's rise to power. I think you, you take away people's fucking guns. That's how fucking Mao killed so many people in fucking China. So Stalin, you know what I mean? You look at these countries where they had these oppressive governments and what's the first thing they do? They take away your fucking guns. And it's like, you know, y- your right to bear arms is not about hunting. It's not about really like personal protection. It's a defense against tyranny. And I think people think that's crazy, but that's what it's there for, and it's there for a fucking reason. Like, our country was founded on that fucking principle. But it becomes kind of weird as a person who's completely pro-gun, and I think you should be able to conceal carry much, you should be able to get a license to conceal carry much easier in California, and I know a shitload of people who are in prison for carrying guns in situations where I think that they should have been able to carry a gun. But then every time there's a mass shooting, like, you know, 10 people get killed by some white supremacist in Buffalo, and it's like, People want to tell you, like, oh, the policies that you're advocating for are encouraging this behavior. Like, we have to do something to stop this. And I just don't agree that making it harder for civilians to legally carry is is the way. I mean, bro, there's people... You look at all these fucking massively, like, gun-controlled cities, and none of it fucking works. New York... You look at all the hubs of fucking gun violence. It's all these cities that have these fucking oppressive gun laws because the only people they're fucking oppressing is the people that are buying the guns legally, which is not the people that are committing the fucking crimes. You take away the legitimate citizens ability to protect themselves. And what do you do? You just give the criminals more fucking power. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in California. My buddy got fucking robbed the other fucking day. My friend got shot. You know what I mean? Like for a fucking, you know, iPhone for a fucking, you know, Richard Mill, whatever, like it's happening like the crime is fucking rampant and it's happening in these cities and it's like the gun control laws are not stopping criminals from fucking shooting other people because they're worried about having an unregistered firearm like it doesn't work like that and so you see it and it's like you know and then it's like okay 10 people died in mass shooting big fucking deal 150,000 people die every day nobody bats a fucking eye you know what i mean the the fucking news covers something and it becomes this big fucking deal but like Dude, do you know how many people fucking die every day from being hit by fucking cars? You're not going to make cars illegal. Like, I mean, shit happens, dude. Like, like mosquitoes kill like a million fucking people a year. Nobody's fucking walking around in mosquito nets, but they're wearing these fucking masks. You know, like, I don't know. I just see all this like crazy shit and it's like. And when you see people just use a mass shooting as their way to try to chip away at gun rights. And now Biden feels like he has to do something realistically. As soon as he's out of office, it'll probably get overturned by the next Republican president or whatever. It's like this little song and dance that I've pretty much been watching go on my whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's an opportunity to grab power, you know, and the, the problem with the government is when they grab power, they never give it back, you know, so. Um, 
yeah, I don't think it's about those 10 people that fucking died. I mean, it's, you know, it's tragic. Like, obviously, like, that fucking sucks. But, you know, when we went to fucking war and a bunch of my fucking buddies died over there, like, nobody's fucking crying about that, you know? Like, when we were over there trying to fucking, you know, make money because, you know, they had a bunch of fucking oil or because we are in, you know, fucking interfering in somebody else's fucking business like we always do. Like, nobody cares about, like, all those people that fucking die, but it's like, okay, if a civilian dies and a shit... It's just like, I don't know, man. It's just how they frame it, like... I don't know, like, fucking tons of cyclists get fucking hit by cars every day. Nobody gives a shit. It's like, people just care when the media focuses on it, you know? It's like, people die all the time, man. That's the fucking world. Like, everybody's going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to fucking die. It's a question of when. And so I'm just not going to, like, live my whole life scared because there's a fucking point zero 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 percent fucking 1% chance that I get fucking shot by a gun. Like, mm. I don't give a fuck. But as, as a person with money living in America... Do you feel a lot more at risk now than you did 10 years ago? Just, this seems like there's a lot more uh, calculated plans to, you know, rob rich people of their belongings these days. Oh, yeah. I mean, fuck, I got, I got a million dollar watch stolen off my wrist at the Canelo fight, you know. How'd that go down? Dude, I didn't even feel it. It was the fucking weirdest thing, man. I was walking in, taking some fucking photos, whatever. And look down, my fucking watch is gone. It, like, literally, I, these guys, they could take your watch right off your wrist, looking you in the fucking eye, like you and me, and you would not feel it. It's the craziest fucking thing ever. And I should have known that. I knew it because I'm like friends with like some of these magicians or whatever. I've like seen it done before. You know, it's probably like stupid to fucking wear a million dollar watch and, you know, a big crowd like that, especially if you're going to be stopping to take photos. But I don't know, man. Like, but shit happens, you know, fucking you know whatever lost you know fucking million bucks like wasn't happy about it but yeah but how much did that actually bother you i mean all the poker over the years has probably uh given you like the feeling of like oh take some losses it is what it is gave me a stronger stomach for sure man the poker definitely helped but it, you know it ruined the night man i was like you know i was like stupid i was like stoked to watch the fight at like front row seats and all this shit and uh yeah i was uh i was fucking pretty bummed out I was more bummed out than if I had like lost a million bucks betting on the fight for sure. Because at least you got some equity in that. Yeah, I could have won, right? Like, yeah, like I don't cry over spilled milk, but like the watch one, I was like, you dummy, like you shouldn't, have, you know. And for that guy, it's a free roll because if you had caught him trying to take the watch, I mean, what's he going to do? He's probably going to disappear into the crowd. Maybe he's going to get locked up overnight. It's like the consequences for him probably aren't that extreme. No, man, it's like it's 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 crazy like the amount of crime in vegas they don't publicize it but it's fucking pretty rampant like i was actually i was on a fucking jury trial and there was this guy and he had uh he had like fucking robbed like 17 old ladies and i was like it's like waiting like i was it was like a five-day trial i was like waiting for like their defense and at the end of it the defense was like oh you know <laughs> i swear to god i couldn't make this i, I swear on my fucking mother's life the defense is basically like oh he, you know, the system is racist because he's black. And I'm like, that's a defense? Like, we have this guy on camera robbing this old lady, literally using her credit card on another camera at another store right after that. Then he robs this old lady. We have an eyewitness. We have a fucking video of him stealing the wallet. Like, we have him caught with the wallet by police at another fucking... Like, it was fucking crazy. Um, and I was like seven and I was like, you know, these ladies get up there and it was like one lady had like fucking $4 in her purse, but she lost her fucking credit card. She lost her ID. She lost her driver's license, all this shit. And it's like, you know, her house keys, she couldn't get in her apartment is in the middle of COVID. So she like, couldn't go to the fucking DMV to get another license, like in her social security card. Like, bro, the nightmare that that is for like a nine year old woman that like can't walk without a cane is like pretty shitty. Right. It's just like, you see this and it was like, yeah, man, like 17 of them. 
but it just makes you realize like dude the guy had done it 17 times and he'd probably done it fucking 500 times where he didn't get caught but these are like 17 times where they literally have his face his hand on the purse taking the purse putting the you know what i mean it's like and you were on the jury? Yeah, I was on the jury, man. You it, had to spend a week of your life I doing did. this? I did. You know, it's funny because I was like, going to get out of it. And, um, and I thought about it. And I was like, well, like, there's probably going to be a time when, you know, I'm going to be in court. And uh, if you want to jury your peers, like, you, ha- you can't, like, really shirk your duties. So I was like, you know what? Like, I initially, like, my thought was like, okay, how do I get out of this? Whatever. And then I was like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. And it was funny because they were there was like the two lawyers on the offensive side get to disqualify people too and i guess one of them was the guy that had arrested me for blowing up a semi truck in uh in 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 the desert out here and uh and it was funny he uh, you know he he left me on the thing even though like i knew that he was the guy that you know had and he knew that i would probably be like more and and i would like i i'm i'm the guy that like I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Former cop seems like it should maybe be disqualifying for the jury, wouldn't you think? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I was a cop for four years. Like, I mean, I had like, I, but I had it on both sides. Like, I'd been like arrested, uh, you know, so it was, it was a weird thing. Um, but neither side disqualified me. And that guy ended up getting convicted? Well, after we found, after the, yeah, after we convicted him, we found out that he had fucking been arrested fucking excellent because you can't research the guy. So you don't really, you go in there, just, you know, you try and take it, you know, like this is the case. And they got you sleeping in like a little regular hotel? No, 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 no. we didn't have to do you that. You got to go home? Yeah, no. got to go home. But yeah. It's so kind of hard to imagine you doing that. No, fuck man, that would have been, that would have been shitty, but I would have done it. I guess like, so at the end of the day, yeah, there was, and then there was like a video of him like bashing in some fucking homeless guy's head in with a fucking rock. So I guess that's why he just said fuck it, because normally they'd like plead out or whatever, but he was gonna get caught for murder, attempted murder, or whatever, and he had all this other shit. So he was like, fuck it, like let's just roll the dice and, you know, and whatever. So, but it was, it was just, it was interesting though. It was interesting to see that this guy had done this this many fucking times before they actually brought him to trial right and he had probably done it and got away with it like 500 fucking times at least before that so it just gives you a look into like how much crime is out there and how much actually gets solved because here's a guy like you literally couldn't get better evidence of somebody committing a crime and it's still like they let him get away with it 17 fucking times before they finally popped him you know because they want to make sure they had him or whatever but yeah. yeah, it's pretty surreal what you can get away with these days. I was always scared shitless of the cops. Now when I think about it, like I, I, I can kind of see it from the perspective of these guys who are robbing people's houses and stuff where it probably seems like a very inviting environment in which to go do that kind of shit, you know? Yeah, especially in California, man. They like got rid of their fucking gang division. They, you know, they've got less cops. They have less ability to like really do much. If you steal, I think it's less than a thousand dollars. You can't even be arrested. So they got people like literally walking into Walmart or whatever fucking Rite Aid and just filling a garbage bag full of shit and just walking out and nobody even fucks it. It's like, I can't believe it's reality, but it's happening, you know? But do you see Vegas as kind of like you taking a step back from L.A. where the crime's presumably worse? And could you imagine yourself living in an even more isolated place? Or is this a good sweet spot? Um, I wouldn't consider Vegas that isolated. But, I mean, I, I, I kind of keep myself isolated. I mean, I'm here. I'm in the house a lot. You know, I built this, like, you know, fucking playground or whatever. So, you know... I, you know, I don't really have to leave too much. And I, and I think like the notoriety has made me a little bit less social as well. 
because um, I, I like having interactions with people, but I like having like normal interactions. I don't like having an interaction with somebody where they have like this whole like preconceived notion of me and they're like, and they're, I don't know, they just, they get anxious. They come up to you and they're just like, they're nervous and there's this and this. It's just not a normal like interaction. And so, I don't know, you like, you kind of feel bad for the guys. It's like, you know, just, you want to just tell them just like, hey, relax, it's all good, you know? But then like that would make them more um fucking anxious so yeah, it's weird when you get to meet people but they're always in this sort of like hyped up state where you can't even view them as just a regular guy yeah yeah and they and they have just like so you can just see it like they have so many of these expectations of you and you know they're like, oh my god you're like a god this and that and it's like fucking normal guy you know like I, I mean i've got like a little bit of a fucking crazy life and i've done some fucking wild shit and whatever but at the end of the day like you know, I was a fucking E1 in the military. Like, I was a fucking, you know, guy in a fraternity. Like, I was, you know, whatever. I was in high school, like everybody else. If you want to actually be Dan Bilzerian's friend, probably the best thing you could do is just treat him like a regular guy, you know? I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I mean, I am a fucking regular guy. I'm just in a fucking crazy position. Um, I've had a crazy life. I mean, I've taken a lot of risk, but I don't think that... Um, I said this in the book, you know, I was like, I, I don't think that I'm like extraordinarily talented in anything other than I've always been really good at figuring out how to get what I want. Like if I want something, I figure out like a fucking path to get there and then I execute and I fucking go and go and go and go and I just don't fucking stop. So I'm like a pit bull when it comes to that. But as far as like natural talent and all this stuff, like, I mean... I wasn't like fucking and you know some physical specimen. I'm not that fucking tall. I'm not fucking like the super fast guy. I mean, I think I'm probably smart, but I'm not a fucking genius. You know what I mean? Like I never really had any like amazing, you know, so, something that I feel like would give me a big leg up. You know? I uh, I know it's not your main thing anymore, but I feel like that's one thing I like about poker at this point is that when you're just sitting at the table with somebody for six hours, you can kind of start to get a rapport going on that is more of like a normal human thing yeah yeah the poker table is a an interesting thing man it's um it's a good kind of like um level the playing field so to speak you know it's like everybody's you know like it, it it helps obviously to have a bunch of money but like you only have as much money as you got in front of you you know what i mean like effectually for the game so um I don't know. I, I always like poker was always intriguing to me. Plus it's like that rush, you know, you have that, you know, the, 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 the fucking, the big win, the loss, the, the, the roller coaster of emotion. You've got a little bit of the fucking gamble too, which I think makes it like way, way more addictive. If it was just like chess or backgammon where the best player won every time, wouldn't be that interesting, but because you, and the shitty players wouldn't play. Yeah. But because you add in that element of chance, you know, it's like video games, man. Like you see it, it's like that intermittent positive reinforcement. And it's like, you, you see it in, in gambling and video games and social media. So all this stuff, it's like that, like not knowing that surprise, that's what fucking hooks people. You know, it's like when you, you know, when you're playing call of duty and you go to the fucking box, you don't know what, what gun's going to come up or, you know what I mean? Like everything's kind of like random. So you don't know when you're going to get that fucking Easter egg. And so I think things like that make it more appealing, you know? Yeah. And I started playing online a lot during the fucking pandemic. And then as it started to go away, cause for a while I couldn't really do interviews. So it was just nobody coming to LA I was just fucking blowing time by just playing tournaments. And then I had to like, kind of like beat back this urge to play, you know, maybe 10 or $20,000 worth of tournaments in a day, because it's like just so obviously a better use of my time to be running the business. 
but still that fucking addictive element of it is making me like sit there doing an interview that I might realistically make $20,000 on and I'm thinking about, you know, poker hands. Bro, that's the story of my fucking college, man. Like my college career was like, I mean, it's just so hard to have money in an online poker site because it's just, it's there all the time, 24 seven. Anytime you want to fucking play, you can be in action. And it's hard for something to be more appealing than like fucking being in a high stakes poker game. It's like, that's fucking adrenaline. And so knowing in the back of your mind that that's always there, it's like hard to sleep. It's hard to, it's hard to study for school. It's like, I don't know. It was, it was very, very fucking distracting for me. Um, but it, are you over it at this point? It doesn't haunt you at all, really? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm almost 100%. I've actually, that's one of the things that I think I'm pretty good at is kicking my addictions. I'm a very, like, addictive personality guy. Like, but when I kick it and when I set my mind to, like, stop doing something, I'm pretty good at it. Like, with gambling, I pretty much quit in 2016. Um, and I had done it, I mean, fucking, like, almost every day for like 14 years. I mean, fucking hardcore. And I was playing for big stakes, big money, and it was stressful. It was stressful and it was like one of those things where I think the deciding factor for me was the fact that like when I won, I didn't really care that much, but when I lost, I was always pissed. Mm. So it was like kind of a recipe for unhappiness. And then I- I feel like I'm in the opposite state now where I'm willing to donk off late regging a tournament mad times with 10 big blinds because I've realized that running deep in a tournament makes me really happy and losing 10 grand in a day registering tournaments doesn't even cause me any pain fair point but I was that's a weird place to get to though no no, it makes total sense and but I'm a cash game player so and I get it like that that's actually that would be a big appeal for tournaments because like usually the buy-in of a tournament nobody gives a fuck but if you win, everybody kind of cares. Best feeling ever. Yeah. But if you so, fucking just blow off 10, 20 grand and nobody knows, like whatever, I guess. Yeah, no, no. Tournaments, that's a big appeal for the tournaments. And I, and I think that like, that's why No Limit Cash is like, it's hard, man. Most people can't fucking stomach that. But um, I, I just, for me, the tournaments were, it was, it, was a, it was a grind. And also I hated the fact that like, part of my poker game was that I would play really crazy in the beginning. I'd play a lot of fucking hands. I'd do shit, and then when I got caught bluffing, I would adjust based on that, and then I would play tighter, and I would get a lot of fucking value out of hands that other people wouldn't get value out of, and my game was dynamic. In a tournament, you go all in, you get caught bluffing, and you don't get to realize the equity later in the fucking game, right? Because you're gone. You're out of the fucking you're out of the tournament. Whereas in a cash game, you fucking send in, you know, $500,000 on a fucking bluff. The rest of the fucking night, when you actually get a good hand, you're probably going to get fucking paid off when people realize that you're capable of fucking making those massive fucking, you know, bluffs. And most people aren't like you get that equity. So like, even when you get caught, there's still like equity. Whereas in a tournament, it's, it's vaporized. And you're also playing against new players, every table. So you don't really get to like figure them out you don't get to build that image and then capitalize on that image you don't get to like really do the metagame so like for me that was a big part of what i was good at in poker is like figuring people out determining how much money a guy had how he reacted to his losses how he played when he was winning how he how he reacted to how i was playing was he a guy that was just gonna like calm me down because he thinks i'm always full of shit was he a guy that like doesn't like to get bluffed was he a passive player that i could run over like those were the things that i was good at in poker um and in in a tournament you kind of like you lose a lot of that and online it's like man you just you know you could now they have the huds but is there any part of you that when you see something like the daniel negreanu uh doug polk heads up challenge 
like I was kind of paying attention and listening to Daniel do podcast talking about his learning and the lead up to that. And I thought it was pretty incredible to see somebody like him who's like one of the best poker players of all time who just all of a sudden puts an enormous amount of time into this one format that he had probably never studied that in depth and, and became like a dramatically better player as a result. But I mean, it's the really like deep technical in the weeds kind of poker playing that is like the total opposite of what I think probably attracted you to it. Is there any part of you that's like, maybe I could get a lot better and compete on that kind of stage? No, absolutely. I found that fascinating. I actually followed the match as well. Um, and I knew his uh, Daniel's coaches and I watched his progression. Um, the thing I thought Daniel lacked in that match was um, that Doug Polk had was Doug Polk had Daniel guessing more. You know what I mean? Like, and when you're playing heads up and the other person is in a position where like they are feeling the constant aggression and you're in the driver's seat, you've got a big advantage because you know, in poker, you're only going to hit the flop, what is it, like 33% of the time. So if the other guy's picking it up 66, I mean, just, just numbers-wise, the other guy's picking it up 66% of the time. And then, you know, that 33% of the time that you hit the flop, it doesn't mean the other guy's not going to flop better, right? So, like, if you're picking up all the times when he doesn't have it, and then when you guys both have it and you have it better, you know what I mean? And you're doing the betting, and you can get that free card in the turn. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you're controlling, like, when you're fucking sending your stack in. It's just, it's an advantage. Like, that's where you want to be. And that was always kind of like my style was the, was the aggression, 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 and then figuring out how people reacted to that aggression and then, you know, tailoring my game accordingly. And, you know, to answer your question, as far as like the, you know, the, the mechanics of it and figuring out like the heads up and, you know, in these ranges and, and looking at it now that the game is, you know, much more solved and you've got, you know, these tools. Yeah, no, I mean, if I was going to get back into poker, I would definitely, you know, I would definitely study the game, you know, and study it like he did. I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating because when I was playing, the game wasn't solved. Like there wasn't a guru. There wasn't a, a solver that had the answers. Like there was the best you could hope for was like Doyle Brunson's super system. You know what I mean? Like that was what was there, you know? And so like, we didn't have any of that. And I think the game was a little bit more pure because of it, but you know, in the sense that like, it was more about people. Now I think it's, you know, it's, it's more about fundamentals and math and like doing the right thing. And, and, um, and it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's long-term probably bad for the game of poker because it's going to make the good players pretty unbeatable. Um, but it's cool in the sense that like you can get a lot better, a lot faster, you know? It's hard for me to imagine like teaching one of my friends how to play poker or why they should want to play poker when, you know, I can like say, no, you can't raise that preflop. You must fold it. And that just doesn't seem like the kind of game that they would want to play. Yeah. They're like, no, I want to be able to raise a seven offsuit here. And it's like, no, like I could prove to you using it's this complex wrong. computer program that I don't really understand that you're losing money every time you do that. And that just doesn't seem like the kind of game that would be very fun for the average player. But I feel like that's the, I haven't ever really taught somebody to play Hold'em. I think you have to like really scale it back because you kind of have to teach them like really basic shit and completely avoid everything else for a long time and slowly give them more and more shit. Yeah, I mean, my goal with poker was always to play against people that were playing for fun. You know what I mean? Like I always wanted to play against the rich guy that was playing for fun, not the guy that was like trying to be a fucking killer. You know, like I wanted to play against these fucking rich guys that were going there to fucking like blow off some steam, fuck with their friends, show a big bluff, fuck some massage girls, like whatever, you know, get out of the fucking house with the wife or, you know, whatever the reason was just to bullshit with the guys, hang out. Like 
poker was pretty like when you're playing recreationally poker's pretty fun when you're sitting at a casino with a bunch of fucking grinders that are like have their headphones that are taking eight seconds to fold whether or not they have fucking seven deuce or you know what I mean, whatever then it's like it takes a lot of the fun out of the game and i think like part of poker also is keeping the game fun so people want to do shit like that like i think guys like phil hummy they're probably the absolute fucking worst thing to ever happen to poker you got a guy berating guys for playing bad it's like in, in, in my games, we encourage people to play bad. We wanted people to make these stupid bluffs and bad calls and this and that. And this fucking idiot's like trying to encourage everybody to play better, to play tighter. And it's just, why? Did like, you see him in that game with Mr. Beast and all them? I didn't watch the part that, I, that it was really controversial. The I heard fold. about it. Yeah. I heard about it. But the, like, the thing that you got the most shit, I think, for was that he was sort of like berating the play of a, I forget her name, but she's like a chess master, this one girl. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty much like the worst thing you can imagine that this girl thinks she's going to show up and just have a good time and she's going to have an old pro berating her for making bad plays. Like, what an idiot. Like, what, I would, what a lack of self control that he's still doing that shit. I would never in a fucking million years let that guy within 100 miles of my fucking home game. Like, I can't imagine anybody allowing him to play it's like he literally makes the game fucking worse and he's the person who has the least incentive to do so like this money doesn't mean anything to you you could lose a quarter million tonight and it doesn't really matter but he acts like it's his last quarter million i don't know that he's that rich i i don't i mean he's i he's got some money but i don't think he's that rich you have to understand like a lot of these you see a lot of this of like okay his total tournament winnings but what that's not factoring in is how many buy-ins he fucking put in to get into all those tournaments. And then the fact that a lot of those big tournaments, he probably got staked where he only had like a 20% free roll or maybe he sold pieces and he only had 30% of himself. Or, you know, so a lot of this is like not actual wins. You know, like for instance, like the one drop, you know, um, uh, Antonio Esfandiari won that. You know, it's like, okay, so it shows that he's won $18 million just in that tournament. But like he only had a small piece of himself you know what i mean so like he didn't actually win and even yeah when you don't count the buy-ins it's like this is something that appeals exclusively to stupid people like when people ask me what's the most you ever won well i won a tournament for 50k one time but it's not like i was even up that year you know like that that 50k did nothing when i donked off 10 20k the next couple weekends you know yeah yeah no everybody wants to talk about the wins they don't want to talk about the losses for sure so yeah i mean i think he's i don't think he's hurting but I don't think he's probably got as much money as people think. How did you end up feeling after that podcast with Doug Polk? Because for the people out there who don't know what I'm talking about, you did like a two-hour podcast with Doug. If you want to see Dan get mad at somebody and really let loose, that would probably be a good thing for them to consult. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, for me, he was just kind of like the stereotypical clickbait guy that, you know, wanted to get the views, didn't really care about reporting the news, was willing to, you know, convolute the truth to fit his narrative, you know what I mean, to get him, you know, the story that he wanted and and then and then basically hide under the, you know, the guise of like, oh, I'm just a journalist, but it's like, no, as a journalist, if you're like taking that approach, you've got, you know, some ethical issues there because as a journalist, you're supposed to like provide the fucking accurate representation. And he misrepresented, like, I mean, he literally like chopped up videos to make me like s- answer a question in a way that I didn't answer the question. And so that's like totally unethical. Um, and so, you know, and, and he actually was, was the catalyst for a lot of people thinking that I didn't make my money from poker, mm. you know, which at the time I didn't really give a fuck, you know, and I still don't really care that much, but I mean, 
because it did, you know, that people thinking that I suck was what got me into games. And I did like perpetuate that. But at the end of the day, like, well, I didn't even meet you till today, but I can't tell you the number of times that I've mentioned that I play poker and a random civilian will be like, so what's up with, with Dan? Like, did Dan make all his money from poker? Like, I have some kind of insight into this. Yeah. I mean, I, like, the funny thing is, like, I have the wire transfers. Like, I, the guy challenged me to a $100 million heads up match, and I beat him for 40-something fucking million dollars. Like, most people have never won 40 fucking million dollars in their fucking life. I beat one guy for over that. You know what I mean? Like, so... For people to say that I didn't make money in poker, it's like I can point to one motherfucker that I've won more money from than like almost every poker player in the world has won in all these fucking tournaments, right? Like beat another guy for fucking 10, 12 million bucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and then these are just like one-offs, like heads up matches, not counting like the ring game that I ran at my house for fucking years. You know what I mean? Like I'd have pieces of the good players. I mean, just my fucking tips alone. I mean, people were tipping, you know, three to 5% on their wins. So like, you know, we we're making fucking, you know, bread just on that. I mean, I was making, you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a night just on tips. I mean, then you got, you know, p- then you got pieces of like good players and like li- dream fucking lineups where guys are like playing without looking at their cards and shit. You know what I mean? So like, I, I, yeah, I had a fucking crazy earn. And then, you know, and I had free rolls on, on sports betting. I mean, I had, you know, I had steak horses in fucking Macau. Like they made a lot of fucking money gambling. <laughs> like right. fucking bought a jet like almost 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this was like, you know, three years or four years before I even fuck actually before I even had access to trust fund and I didn't sell any of my fucking trust fund. I didn't cash it out until fucking 2019, 2020, like the end of 19, early 20, just cause like, you know, whatever it was, it was a fucking insignificant amount of money. It was like, you know, a couple million bucks. Why is there no more, uh, Dan Bilzerian avatars on, uh, GG? Um, so I just, man, I don't know. I just couldn't fucking post like i couldn't promote it like i don't know it just seemed cheesy right you signed to them and then it was noted by many people that we almost saw no promotion on your end dude i'm so bad about it man i get offered so much money to do fucking promos i just can't i just don't have the heart to do it really no man but you don't have somebody on your team that could throw it up in your story i don't don't let anybody touch my shit i got offered three million dollars to promote an nft i got offered fucking you know Three million plus equity to promote a crypto coin. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I just won't sell out. I don't know. Right. But and you, I did, didn't, you and signed I didn't the really contract cons- with GG, though, right? Yeah, but like, they're, like the whole premise of it was that they were gonna fucking like put me in high stakes cash games, and I was gonna get the content there, right? Like that was kind of the thing. Is like it wasn't supposed to be me sitting on a fucking laptop. They also told me that they're gonna give me a bunch of money to play online. So like, okay, if I'm fucking, you know, playing a bunch of fucking money online, like I could get a picture out of that. But when the fucking deal kind of like regressed to where they didn't want to do the TV show or like all this other stuff, like, okay, like I'm not going to come up with fake content, you know? And like, you know, like I went down to Turks and Caicos to like promote one of their free roll tournaments or whatever. And they didn't do it the way I said, like I told them that I wanted to fucking like have it wide open. Just let anybody fucking enter the free roll tournament. They wanted people to deposit a certain amount of money. So that, cause I was like, cast the big net and then retarget all these people. That works. I know that works. They didn't want to do it. They want to do it their way. Dude, I spent like $170,000 between jet fuel and the fucking villa and all the shit in Turks and Caicos, you know? And so it's like, I was in this spot where I'm like, and they, and they said that they like, they'd pay for the travel cost, but I don't think they like understood. Like that's the way I travel. Like I'm not going to get on a commercial flight. I didn't buy a jet so that I could fucking fly commercial. Like, I, you know what I mean? I'm not, and then I wasn't even fucking like really enjoying myself in Turks and Caicos. I was writing my goddamn book the whole fucking time, but I had to get it out of the country so that I could do their fucking post. So initially, like I tried to do it, you know what I mean? I like did some posts, like I drove them a fuckload of traffic, 
you know, but then they were supposed to give me like a percentage of the people that I, that I recruited. And, you know, we had like a hundred thousand fucking downloads. There's like a lot of people. Right. And so like their the numbers that they were saying that they were going to pay me was, you know, like millions a month. So like, okay, for millions a month, like, cool, you know, we can do something, but you know, they weren't really paying me the affiliate revenue. And so, yeah, we just agreed to just kind of like end it, you know, how much of a storm was it early on when the actual poker community was having their little fit about you getting signed to GG? Like how much did they actually care? And was there any actual heat on you? I would assume that at this point you don't really care that much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Most poker players are fucking nerds, you know, like I don't (laughs) really hang out with that many of them. I don't really want to associate with them. I mean, I shut most of them out of my fucking games. Like I never let pros in really like, I mean, we had some semi pros and shit that I take pieces of, but like, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just, to me, I mean, yeah, they just, like, seem like the typical, like, online troll fucking dude. I mean, like, the guys that are, like, playing, like, really, like, the real guys, I mean, I'm friends with most of the fucking real guys, like, the fucking, you know, I don't know, uh, fucking Robel and Jungle Man and Antonio and, like, all the OGs, like, Phil Ivey, you know what I mean? Like, I know all, like, the real guys. But, you know, all these, like, random fucking online grinders, like, I don't really give a fuck. But Gigi didn't know. really make it a big deal to you? Uh, believe it or not, I was, like, surprised they stuck by me, you know, after that whole, like, you know, when I told that chick to fucking fuck off or whatever. Shut up hoe or something, yeah, I think it was. Like, yeah, something along those. She, man, she fucking clung on to that fucking tweet, <laughs> rode that motherfucker to a contract. And then she won $1.5 million, like, two weeks later, which I thought was a pretty nice little Cinderella story. That was so Beating painful. the fucking villain, Dan So painful to watch this fucking idiot. But, yeah. <laughs> So, because like she, you know, she got on there just like talking all this shit, and it's just like it's just so typical of like that fucking like feminist movement. They'll fucking talk all this shit, then you say one thing, and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm so fucking offended," you know? Like I called this guy a piece of shit and a scumbag and this and that, and like drug his name through the mud. But then he says one thing to me, and it's like, it reminds me of, like the soccer players when they get like flicked in the face with a finger and they fall on the ground and like flop around you know that's like how i describe her like you know what I mean? like one comment she's like flopping on the ground like oh my god do you think this is the end of you as a, a poker ambassador though you just don't got it in you at this point um i mean you know poker's kind of a th- you know thing that i've like moved on from i mean i play you know like i was i kind of like transitioned from the ring game stuff more towards the heads up and i would play some heads up um, I would play like some, you know, high stakes heads up and stuff like that. But I, you know, I stopped playing online a long time ago. Um, I think, you know, I mean, and then the collusion, the cheating, all this stuff has come out. I mean, and then the ultimate bet they had cheating. I mean, there's been a lot of fucking issues with the online play, you know, and I was never really a big fan of the online. It's like, like I said, the biggest problem was that you have money in that fucking account. It's like always there. Like you can play any time. And it's like, man, it's just such a fucking negative impact on your life. You know? And like the after playing so much online during the pandemic, I remember the first time I came to Vegas after the pandemic. And normally when I play, it's on the Hustler live stream. Bunch of loose ass players. Everybody's having a good time. People are drinking. So it's like a great game. Like that Mr. Beast game looked like a fun right, game. Exactly. Yeah. But then I come to Vegas and I go sit down to play 510 and everyone's on their phone. Everyone's got a mask on. Everybody's playing crazy tight, like super boring. And after playing online for the whole pandemic, I was thinking like, oh, playing live is going to be so fun. And then I get there and I'm like, fuck. You just have to play recreational guys. You know, like you just have to get in those private games 
Because here's the fucking truth of the matter. Some fucking rich guy that's playing poker for entertainment is not going to play 17% of hands. He's just fucking not, you know? And he's not going to, like, bluff the correct amount of times. Like, they're going to, like, and it, I'm the same way, dude. I play fucking, you know, 70% of hands. Like, you know, and that's, and, and if everybody's doing that, it's a different game. There's different calculations and there's different hand values and you play your hands differently and you, you know what I mean? The whole thing changes. Nine guys see the fucking flop. You know what I mean? It's a different dynamic. So, I've, that's kind of how I came up is playing in those games, which is not fucking ABC, which is not like, you know, how these standard online hundred big blind games are fucking run. Like we were playing with 500, a thousand big blinds, you know, so we're playing super fucking deep. So you can call for those gut shots and you know what I mean? Like you can put big pressure on people and it's just a, it's a very different, different game. And like I said, when you're playing against guys that are playing recreationally and they're playing all these fucking hands, they're just not going to have a strong hand very often, right? If you're playing 90% of fucking hands, like you're not going to be in there with a, with a hand that can withstand a fucking, you know, check raise on the turn very often, right? So like... In that Mr. Beast game, there was like a hand where uh, Phil raised and all the YouTubers just folded and they all were like, Phil, we know you have a strong hand. And he did. And it was like the first hand of the whole session where everybody just folded. And it was so perfect that even these like super mega recreational players had picked up on Phil being too tight. Yeah. I mean, and that's a part of the game. You know, it's a part of the game that I feel like a lot of people don't consider. It's, uh, it's one of those things where like you have to understand like how people perceive you. And then, you know, like if you're perceived as being a tight guy, then you should play looser. Like if you're perceived as being a fucking super loose guy, you should lock it up a little bit and get value out of your fucking hands. You know what I mean? Milk people, you know, like bet thinner, stuff like that. And it's, you know, and so making those adjustments and understanding how people perceive you and how, you know, in your table image, that's a big part of poker. And that's honestly how I made a lot of my fucking money was by people fucking underestimating me or people just refusing to fucking fold to me, people not adjusting correctly to how I was playing, not understanding that I was adjusting to how they were playing. And so, you know, it's, it's just a very, very different game playing against bad players. Cause the biggest thing about playing against bad players is figuring out how to exploit them for the maximum amount of money. You know, and that's not about playing every hand fucking right. That's sometimes about playing hands intentionally fucking wrong so that you get their whole fucking stack on other hands. When I was watching that Mr. Beast game, I was just watching it, and there was a lot of situations where I would really not know how to play. And if I was staked to be in that game, I would have felt really guilty because I would have not felt confident that I was making a decent decision on behalf of whoever was backing me because there's so many weird fucking hands that you could never imagine normally yeah. yeah the variance goes way up like the hand ranges go way wider um it's yeah it's, it's playing recreationally is a it's a very different game have you uh just to switch topics have you paid much attention to the manosphere that's kind of been developing online over these years all these guys on youtube and shit who want to basically tell guys how to get girls and how to make that part of their life run more smoothly um i've seen a little bit of it you know it comes up with my tiktok a little bit um just my feed um, I think it's good, man. I think like there's just so much nonsense put out by Hollywood of like, you know, fucking chase the girl, kiss her ass, buy her a fucking bunch of roses, like all this shit that just is like is very counterproductive. Like it's not only that this stuff is bad and it doesn't work, it works against you. So you put in effort to fucking bring yourself back. And so I don't think there's very many people that are teaching these fucking young guys like the correct way to do things. And it's very like counterculture to even suggest it. Um, 
and so I haven't, you know, I haven't seen a ton of it, but I mean, look, man, most guys are not getting laid. Like 5% of guys, and I've been saying this for a while, get all the pussy. Like all of it. And I think that's what a lot of the manosphere kind of is trying to correct for is living in this new sexual economy where if there's a fucking smoking hot 19-year-old chick in Kansas City, she's just going to meet millionaires on Instagram and she is going to get flown out and they're going to have their way with her. And then she's going to meet rappers and she's going to meet models. She's going to meet all these guys who have all this money and all the dudes from her town are kind of cut out of that. So it's like the, to understand what's going on in the sexual marketplace at this point is like very overwhelming for a lot of guys, I think. Yeah, the ecosystem's changed, man. You know what I mean? Like now you have such access, right? Like these girls have access to fucking celebrities. You know what I mean? Like before... It was like a girl would only dream about meeting Justin Bieber. Now she could literally slide into his fucking DMs. And if she's got a big account, like he might see it, you know? And so like, it's, yeah, it's very different. Um, And it's, and I think it's, you know, to your point, probably making it worse to where like that 5% is getting even more and those 95% are getting even less. Cause like, you know, I don't know, man, like this, the guy in the hometown that you're talking about that lives in fucking Iowa that drives a fucking Honda Civic, like how's he supposed to compete with fucking, you know, uh, uh, fucking Bradley Cooper, you know what I mean? Like if the chick can fuck Bradley Cooper, she can fuck this dude, you know, like working the 7-Eleven, like he's never going to win that battle, right? And so I, I don't know. And, and then also like Bradley Cooper's approach, I mean, I don't even know why I'm using it as an example, but like his approach is probably going to be different. You know what I mean? And because he has abundance, he's not going to like cater to them. And then that's going to trigger more attraction. And it's a whole like thing. Right. And so like, and once a girl's been down that road and she's, you know, flown her private jet and she's fucked the guy that fucked her actually really good because he's fucked a lot of women and he's confident and he's not fucking like super fucking anxiety central when he fucking actually gets a hot chick in his bed. Like how she's supposed to go from that to the guy that like doesn't know how to fuck her, you know, it's, you know, it just, I don't know, man. Like once they, once they go down that road, how do they go back, you know? And then how does the other guy then compete with that? I've actually found that with like, not to say that I'm some fucking super stud or anything, but like girls that I've dated, like when they go on to like date other guys, it's like, man, it fucking eats these guys fucking alive. Like, you know, yeah, it's, and it's unfortunate, you know, like I mean, I don't want to have that fucking impact, but man, it's like, you know, some of these people have been in like therapy for like two years, like constantly like asking these chicks like questions like, oh, did he fuck you better? Like, you know, this or that. You're just like shit nonstop, you know? I've been in that position where I was in a serious relationship with a girl and I knew that there was a fucking fly ass famous dude that had fucked her before and I didn't like it. But I also had the dignity to, like, not make a thing out of it, you know? You yeah, kind of, like, think about it a little you bit. Like, you get over it. But aren't whatever. you also, like, a fucking porn guy that probably fucks a shit Now, now, chicks. yeah. So this, like, but this is before all that. I think yeah. it's a little different, yeah. dude. I mean, you literally have sex for a living, so you can't really... It's just one of my livings. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you're a fucking, you know, if you're fucking a NASCAR driver, you know, and some guy that fucking, you know, took the girl out in a Ferrari, you can't worry about that, you know? You're right. No, but that's one thing that blows my mind when I was reading your book is because, you know, sometimes I'll have days on set where I got a fucking nut four times in a row, basically over like, you know, a six hour period or whatever. And, you know, I'm always like fucking stoked when I pull it off. I've, I've never fucked it up. You know, like typically when I see my girl eating some other girl's ass, my dick just stands up and I just go for it you're just doing this for the love of the game, you know? Like, if I'm having to, like, sometimes remind myself, like, you are making X amount of dollars today. Like, just get in there and do your job. Yeah, but yours is way harder, though, dude, because you have to do it. 
You know what I'm saying? Like when you're doing it for the love of the game, it makes it easier. When you're just because I didn't have to. I mean, I felt like an obligation. You know what I mean? I felt like you know the example I use like a billionaire that walks down the street and he sees a hundred dollar bill, he's just got to pick it up. Like you're not just gonna leave a hundred dollars on the street. You know. So I felt like that with uh, with with some of these hot chicks, just because I you know I grew up with a scarcity mentality. Um, so then, you know, when I had the opportunity to fuck some chick that I thought was a fucking 10, it's like, I just felt like as a man, I had to do it, you know? Right. Um, but it was, it was also easier too, because I'm not like fucking with a camera there. Like, you know what I mean? If I make a mistake, it's like, you know, it's like not, there's not a whole set of people to see it or like, you know, it's not, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I've definitely had some embarrassing moments. I remember this one time, uh, this chick, t- or I texted her like, Hey, you want to fuck? She's like, Oh, I'm on my period, but you know, we could fuck in the shower. And I was like, Oh, how about your friend? Cause she had this like hot ass fucking, um, Venezuelan friend or some shit. And she's like, I'll ask her. And then she's texting back. She's like, yeah, she's down. And I was like, okay, cool. Like tell her to come out of my room. And in the meantime, this other chick had come to my room and I was like, I was like, I was like planning on waiting for the other chick, but then she started sucking my dicks. Like, ah, like, fuck it. So I started fucking her and I was like, figured like, okay, well she'll just come in in the middle of us having sex and that'll actually be like an easier thing. You know, she'll just join in whatever. So I don't know, after like 15 minutes, I was like, fuck, maybe this chick's just not coming. So I ended up fucking, you know, getting off literally as I like dismounted the fucking girl and go to walk to the bathroom, the other girl walks in the door and I'm like, fuck. So I, you know, I like, but she didn't see me having sex. So she didn't know. And then she also couldn't speak English. So this is this fucking crazy thing. So I get in the shower, she takes off her clothes, gets in the shower and I like try to talk to her, but she, I realize that she literally does not speak a fucking word of English and she starts like kissing me and I'm just like, okay. And then she starts sucking my dick and I was like, somehow my fucking dick was like getting hard. I was like, oh, this is just not going to work. It's like my refractory period. It's been like a minute. You know what I mean? I'm like, but my dick was hard. She's there. So it's like, okay. So then I start fucking her and then, you know, but I can't keep my dick hard for more than like a couple minutes out of this. But, and then I didn't have the opportunity to explain to her like, Hey, I just fucked, you know, like, so it was this weird thing where I'm just like sitting there and I'm sure she had this expectation that I was going to like fuck her really good. And here I can't keep my dick hard and they can't explain it. So when I was 28, I had this random girl that I met who just would make, she like, I would fuck her. She would make me start pawing at my dick 10 minutes later and i never realized up until that point that i could just get hard a bunch of times in a row but she fucking like cracked the code by just basically forcing me to yeah and then ever since then i've kind of you know had, had but you need like bucket. 10 15 you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. you need like a little the bit. more time you have the better because if i could have like an hour and a half between scenes i can go smoke a blunt and just fucking chill out drink some coffee then i'm fucking totally ready to go if it's like 15 minutes that's that's a challenge see for me it's a meal like if i go have a bowl of cereal i'm fucking good we're going and know? i just had a male porn star tell me that the most important thing is like bananas and fruit potassium and, glycogen yeah 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 he told me that that gets him right back in the game yep 100 percent. yeah no for sure <laughs> i had to learn this stuff the hard way over yeah. the years definitely wow um, have you seen that guy, the liver King online? I have. Yeah. He's actually been popping up my feed and it's funny because I just thought this dude is like such a fucking scam cheese ball, you know? And then I saw him on Logan Paul's podcast. I thought he did really good, man. Like I thought he was like, I was like, this guy's always referring to himself in the third person. What a fucking clown. Right. But he's, he's got a cool little brand he's building for himself there. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. No, like I said, I watched the Logan Paul thing and I was like, 
this guy's like, you know, he's got a fucking head on his shoulders. Like he's got a good pitch. Maybe, maybe it's a gimmick. I don't know. Maybe it's fucking, I don't know. But like he sold it, like he sold it pretty good. He had a good story. Like, and he stayed in character and fucking like, cause it's not everybody that can stay in character. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're doing fake shit, you know, it's like easy to fucking like scam Instagram a little bit. But then like when you get an interview and you're face to face with somebody and you're getting asked tough questions or whatever, and you got to like think on your feet. Cause you know, it's not like, I mean, you know, for this interview, I wasn't like, Hey, what questions are you going to ask me? You know what I mean? I didn't do any prep, but you're also not in character. Like, no, no, I, but I, and, and you never really were, you know, like maybe some of the photos, maybe you like are attempted to depict your life as being more extreme than it actually is. But for the most part, you never really have played a character, would you say? Well, no, I, and, but that makes it so that I don't have to, like, worry about my answers. Yeah. And I just shoot from the hip, and I, just, and, and I also don't have to remember lies. I just fucking, you know, you ask me a question, I tell you the answer. I don't have to think twice about it. It's whatever. It is what it is, you know? Um, but like I said, for him, I feel like, I mean, he's definitely playing somewhat of a fucking character, right? It's not natural to, like, act and look like this fucking guy. So he is playing a little bit of a character, but, like, is that authentically him? It came across as it kind of was in the interview. And that's why I was like impressed. Cause like not everybody can like stay in character through an interview, especially when he's a guy that like doesn't do a lot of interviews. Like a lot of people like put a camera on him and they, they're not used to doing interviews. It makes them fucking little nervous. I was know? fucking with him until he said that he's natural. Yeah. I don't. And I'm just like, bro. I mean, okay. He hey, yeah. Let's pull up this year's, you know, top natural bodybuilding contest. You're so much bigger size-wise than any of those dudes you're yeah you're not going to get an argument from me there because that is a fucking you know and i've never been one of these guys that's like a fucking real stickler for that shit but it is fucking irritating when people are like bullshitting about it you know because it does promote like you know and i this is an example he's like fucking mike o'hearn like this motherfucker's like 55 years old looks fucking amazing right could probably walk on stage and compete you know and it's like there's fucking zero chance in fucking heaven or hell that this guy's not fucking on some shit right and he's and but like so why lie like even if you're on shit you're fucking like doing better than like all the other guys that are on shit so it's like you really gotta like tell people that you this is how you are naturally and so like some guy that goes in the gym and fucking adds you know 20 pounds to his bench press in a year has gotta like watch you fucking like bench in six plates you know what I mean? like i don't know just i think it's like it's a little demoralizing so like for me you know, I've never been a guy that had like some fucking amazing physique. I, I mean, I probably look more natural than fucking anybody, you know, and I've always been honest that I fucking take TRT and shit, you know, just because it's fucking, it is what it is, man. I'm not like ashamed of it. I don't give a fuck. Like but when they ask him about it on the Logan Paul thing, his response is like, that's what haters say who don't believe in themselves and aren't willing to put in the work. And it's like, he owns a supplement company. So I get it that like, if you ad admit one time that you're on steroids and you're never going to hear the end of it, it'll probably negatively impact your, your business and everything, but you're selling like a big, crazy lie to all these kids out there. You know? Yeah. I, I can't argue with that, man. I don't, you know, I, I, I can't imagine him there being a, see a guy like him, has a higher probability, in my opinion, of being natural than a guy like fucking Mike O'Hearn. Because Mike O'Hearn is like fucking 265 fucking pounds. You know what I mean? Like, and he's 55. Like, your natural testosterone starts dropping at like 35 years old. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling that right now. Yeah. I, mean, I could still fuck, but in terms of like muscle size, yeah, it definitely ain't easy. Like, oh, you're not on be. HRT or anything? No. You think I should be? Well, I mean, I don't know if you're fucking, you know, if you're fucking a lot, all this shit, and you're working out. I don't know. <laughs> That's I mean. what has me scared. Is like, fuck, I can perform this many times consistently. 
what if I um, get on testosterone and then when I get off it, I can't perform the same? Like, oh, you, you never know? get off. So, so, the, so the decision is basically at your age, at my age, you get your levels checked and you determine like, okay, I'm below where I, you know, first of all, you, you establish a baseline, right? Like, let's say you're, let's say right now you're 800. That's fucking awesome. If I was 800 and I was a natural, I would just stay there. Right. But like, let's say you're, you know, 800 now, but then two years later you get tested and you're 600, you know, and then maybe you're 500 and it's like, okay, like we see where the graph is going. We know we're going to need to get on. So like, would we rather have like one extra year of like better performance and this and that? That's the decision I think a guy at your age makes is like, do we get on and stay on? I don't think you, you're not going to cycle. So I you mean, never really get off at, once you start doing it a bit later in life I, and, and no, you do no. a very moderate amount, but you just stay consistent with it. Yeah. So, so there's two decisions. Like if you're like in your twenties or thirties, then it's like a decision like, okay, like, are we going to get on a cycle? Cause we want to fucking like bulk up. We want to like, you know, do better in sports or like whatever your motivation is. Then you have a decision to make. It's like, okay, is it worth it? to yo-yo our hormones, potentially like fuck up our natural production going forward. Or are we just like so into fucking being in good shape that we just want to get on and stay on? Like there's different decisions, but I think later in life, like as you get around 40, the decision is like, okay, are we just like naturally dropping off? Are we happy with where we're at? And then it's like, you just get on and, and then you stay there. And there's no like negative long-term health effects of that? Um, I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, you know, I, I, there are some negatives and I mean, and you also have to like, now you're like, I look at it like you're racing a Ferrari, right? Like when you're racing a Ferrari and it's tuned right and everything's going good, that motherfucker's bad as shit and it's driving around the fucking track and nothing can touch it. But, you know, if something's fucking off, you know, it can, you know, it can get fucked up and it can be expensive. It can be a bad fucking thing. You know, you drive a Honda Civic, it's probably not going to have any fucking problems, but it's also not going to fucking, you know, turn any heads either. You know what I mean? Like a Honda Civic's going to probably run 200 fucking thousand miles without any fucking major issues. A fucking Ferrari on the racetrack's not going to run 200,000 miles. You know what I mean? But like when it's running, it's running. So it's like, I kind of compare it to that because you've got your testosterone, then you got to regulate your estrogen. And then you, you know, if assuming you're running like very low doses and you're doing it as HRT, there's not really like a lot of science, but if you're juicing and you're doing that now, you're like fucking with a lot of shit. Cause now it's like, okay, now we're breaking out. So we're taking fucking Accutane. Now we have high, you know, estrogen. So we're taking Armadex now, you know, you know what I mean? Shit like that. Your liver's fucked up. So you're doing this. And it's like a lot of these guys end up just like on these massive drug cocktails. Cause it's not natural to have your body running at that level. I did like a three, four month cycle when I was 21 and the shit turned me into a fucking monster for the duration of it. Like I, I fucking fought a crackhead on the street. Cause he said something to me and I was just fucking feeling so crazy. So it's kind of hard for me to even imagine doing it now and doing like a moderate amount you know well your first cycle number one is always going to be your craziest thing because a you have this natural testosterone you've never introduced this to your body and you're adding you know the anabolic so i don't know what it is about the first cycle but everybody says that's like a you know it's like you know i don't know it's hard to get that high again you know right so like um, I wouldn't expect that, but it's also going to be different, right, too? Because if you were cycling, you're probably doing a lot of gear. I can't really remember. I remember thinking it was going to be a moderate amount and then actually doing it and feeling like the Hulk. Yeah. So, you know, you're still, but if you're doing a cycle, it's probably like super physiological doses. Whereas like with HRT, you're kind of like the goal is to bring yourself back to like a little bit higher than you were at 18. Right. 
you know, where you're getting fucking random boners in class and shit, and, you know, you could fucking recover and, you know, whatever. So, like, it's just kind of a different thing. It's, like, you, the goal is to, like, get to a level that's, like, maintainable, sustainable, that's not going to, like, fuck with your body. Because you can't just, like, run super high doses all the time like these bodybuilders and not expect that problem. Did you ever shoot your dick up? I did. How was it? You I only sh- did it once? Not with steroids, but no, I but shot the- stem cells. Oh, stem cells. Yeah. Because I hear from the porn stars that they got something that you, you like prick into your dick and then you take it and you like massage it into your dick and then you have like the craziest two-hour erection. And the thing that they told me was like when you watch European porn, if you ever see a guy fucking a chick like the craziest like just looks like he could fuck her for the rest of his life and he's never gonna come they're like that's because they all shoot their fucking dicks up so i got a funny story I, I didn't i have never done that but i had a friend that did it um on a friend's private plane so my buddy did it on this guy's private plane he was fucking this chick and apparently there's something that you have to take after that to like make your dick go down okay i heard about right? that too yeah and so on my plane, he was used to flying on my plane. That's the only private plane he'd ever been on. And on my plane, you can access the baggage from the cabin. Right. Okay. But on this other one, it was like a smaller plane and you couldn't access the baggage. So he couldn't get into his bag to get the thing to shoot his dick to go down. So they actually had to fucking land the plane so that he could go in the back to get the shit to shoot his dick. So he had to explain to the guy whose plane he was using why they had to fucking ground the plane in the mid-flight. <laughs> um, but he said it, you know, when it worked, it, you know, it worked great. I mean, it was. There's a lot of male porn stars too are injecting like silicone or some shit into their dick to just make it like permanently bigger, which I, oh, I don't like really Juvederm know much about it, but that's some wild shit. Yeah, man. I, you know, I don't know too much about like the dick extension stuff or whatever, other than a good friend of mine who's a plastic surgeon. And he said his, um, his buddy who was, I think he was a billionaire. is was worth like fucking hundreds of millions or something like really rich guy. And he said the guy had like a fucking nine inch dick or something, you know, big fucking dick and like fucking wide dick too, all this shit. And he was going to get a, his dick enlarged even more and died on the operating table. Wow. So, you know, you hear shit like that. And then like, I don't know. And That's your. There's, there's other people that like, you know, I'm sure get the fucking surgery and their dicks never works. I, to me, it was like, I don't know, man. It's like such an important part of my life that I was just like never really wanted to risk it. <laughs> right. How do you feel about the BBL revolution? Oh, dude, I think it's so gross. I just, man, I'm an 80s guy, you know, like skinny with big tits, you know, like a, like a, like a nice, like a firm ass, but not like a donkey ass. I don't know. Um, I just, yeah, never, never. You don't see BBLs you like though? Oh, I do. Sometimes no, I, I, think I think it's done pretty well. Yeah, there yeah. are girls. Well, now that I've, I've started to realize like, so many fucking girls have them. So like, it wasn't until recently that I realized like how many fucking girls actually have these. They're way better at it now. Yeah, they are. And and it's crazy because a lot of them look better than the girls that fucking work out because like contrary to popular belief, like the bulk of your ass is not muscle. It's fat for women. You know what I mean? So like the women that have the nice asses, is usually genetic. It's not because they've been on the fucking squat rack all the time, you know, or like, or they got the BBL or, you know, what there's so many things they do. There's like, they, they inject um, silicone or they, I mean, I think the old school thing was like to actually put an implant in their ass, but I don't think they're doing that anymore. Sometimes I'll fuck an old school porn star who still has that and you it's fucking it. weird because <laughs> now I'm so used to the, the fat feels so much more natural in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I, yeah. I don't know. I was just, it's funny, man. My buddy, um, my buddy Eubanks, he's a, he's a boxer. He, he's, you know, he likes the huge asses. 
And I just, and same with my buddy Bill. I don't know, I got some friends that like that. I just, yeah, never was into it. You're throwing, throwing Bill Perkins under the bus again there? Yeah, he just, man, I don't know. He's not shy about it. He, he does love a big. <laughs> but in your book, there's like some uh, sort of poorly done attempts to hide Bill's identity that I thought were fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, I think, I think for some of the people in the book, it was plausible deniability, you know? It's like, I mean, obviously, like, like my good friends, like everybody that knows us knows right but then there's like the general public or if they have you know kids or siblings or whatever you know so there's like some of that i did that with some of the girls too um that weren't famous or that like wanted it changed the girls that i like dated um like victoria i changed her name i couldn't believe reading that fucking francesca girl from uh too hot to handle (laughs) and she's just like oh yeah like you know hanging out with dan is such a great life-changing experience my secret to getting dan was was anal i'm like holy fuck she's really keeping it real it was a strong one man i respected the honesty of that one i was surprised because i you know some of the girls i asked for vignettes um like the Samantha girl, the the doctor, like her vignette was fucking amazing. Like I did not expect that, and I didn't expect it from like a like a medical standpoint. Just like from a psychoanalyzation standpoint, I was very impressed. And then the um, and then yeah, the Francesca one, I was like just surprised how raw you know and how honest she was in there. Um, but yeah, I mean it's cool. It's, it's cool. It's cool when people are just you know they don't they they don't sugarcoat it. They just write it how they see it. You know, I thought that was pretty impressive yeah no that was definitely impressive like that that really like is something i could imagine haunting her if she ever finds some other rich guy wants to wife her up but maybe not well she was also on that show too you know what i mean like so i think like once you like cross over like for me you know what i mean it's like you know like people like oh my god i can't believe you put all this shit in the book i'm just like yeah but like Anybody that I'm like serious with is going to know my past anyways. And I've never been one to shy away from. It's kind of like one of those things where like you just have to embrace your shit. Like you just have to embrace who you are. And I think, I think people react. I was actually talking to my buddy the other day about this. He's like, one of the things that just always baffles me is like, like, like the amount of like craziness that women will accept and adopt to your frame because you're so like, in it like that's just who you are and you, because you don't apologize for it like what they will accept as being normal is fucking mind-blowing whereas if i was to like kind of like tiptoe around it or apologize for it it would be a completely different scenario i think like a lot of times and this is just true in general when you apologize i think it like puts the other person on the offensive a little bit you know to where they get like a little bit empowered and then they kind of like come at you. Whereas if you're just like, you know, look, this is who I am. This is what I did. I'm not fucking, you know, like ashamed of it. There's a lot of emphasis in that, uh, manosphere stuff that I'm talking about to, uh, you know, they instruct guys to become high value males. That's what it's all about is like, even if you're young, you got to figure out your fitness, you got to figure out your job, what your money situation is going to be like, how you're going to be able to be entertaining or whatever, because that's really the only thing that realistically is going to allow you to compete against fucking millionaires in the dating pool right like what would your suggestions be to an 18 19 year old dude who's kind of trying to figure out what life is all about and how he should go about being able to get hot chicks oh man that's a pretty broad question you know it's funny because like in college um i read the book the game and that was kind of like that was like the initial yeah like i had never had those ideas presented to me like oh i can be strategic about how i go about doing this i don't have to just go get drunk and just see what happens okay so i actually got him to do the first edit of my book right 
Um, Neil Strauss did the first one and then I did 36 afterwards. Um, but yeah, I always found that concept interesting, you know, cause it was just like a different way of looking at it and it made sense, you know? And I think like, you know, one of the books for women, like why men love bitches. It was funny. Cause like I saw my girl reading it the other day and, uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to fucking look at this. Cause my buddy had mentioned it and I started reading it and there was a lot of truth in there, man. It was kind of like, you know, just basically like the, the general, I only read 17 pages, but like the general concept that I got was like to just be confident and not like cater too much to the other person initially. And it's true because I think, you know, when you do that, um, you kind of like communicate, um, that you're, you know, maybe not on that person's level or whatever. And because that person, you know, has seen these patterns, like so much of this is psychology. So understanding like how our programming works and how we respond to things. I don't, I'm not a big fan of like gaming chicks or like trying to like be somebody that you're not or any of that other shit. Cause I don't think that's sustainable. And I don't think it's like, I don't think it's confidence inspiring if you have to pretend to be somebody else or you have to like do fake shit. So I've never been a fan of that, but I, what I am a fan of is understanding psychology and like why things work and why people respond to other things. You know what I mean? Like why people respond to shit. And so as far as, you know, how an 18 year old would get laid, I put a little bit of it in the book. You know, I think a big piece of it is just getting out there and approaching a bunch of girls and, and not approaching them and like, Oh, I think you're so beautiful. Can I buy you a drink sort of way? But just approaching them and just talking to them, just having a conversation, becoming comfortable talking to a hot girl. And that's something that like sounds easy. You know, I'm sure for you it sounds fucking super easy. But like a lot of these younger guys, you know, me as well, when I was younger, like going up to a super hot chick, it was like initially when I was doing that, it was like, fuck, man, I would get anxiety, you know, and I thought that it had to be about hitting on them. That's how I thought like a man is supposed to approach a woman. But no, just go talk to them. Get used to that get used to rejection too. That was another big thing for me. Like that was when I kind of like, I felt like jumped the hurdle was when I stopped giving a fuck about being rejected. Cause I was like, you know, finally when I went to college, I was getting a lot of pussy and I didn't care. And I would like talk to so many girls that like, if someone shot me down, like what the fuck does it matter? And when you stop caring, you start doing a lot better. There's like a, a dude that we hired as an editor, uh, at my office. And, uh, he, like I've, I've kind of seen how he's been able to just sort of become cool with a bunch of the porn star girls that come on the podcast. He's kind of like befriended the ringleader. And now his world is totally open where any of the chicks that she kicks it with or any of the girls that she knows, she's like inviting them to parties. And he's able to like, you know, just because he, he showed the one girl who probably has the most clout in the social circle that he's safe. He's not a weirdo. He's a cool guy that they could just hang out around. And I told him, I'm like, you have fucking cracked the code right there by just showing some self-control and not fucking the first one that you met. Now you can kind of like easily adapt to this fucking world and they're going to treat you differently because you're, you've, you've sort of like proven the important part, which is that you're a cool guy who, who is safe and, and fun to be around, you know? That's a great point. I think there's another piece of it too. And I think... I was never going to be that guy. I was always like, clearly I'm trying to fuck, you know? <laughs> no, I, I'm the same way, dude. I never was a friend zone. Go yeah. out of the friend zone. I got a buddy that does that. He'll like yeah. purposefully get in the friend zone, build trust, and then try and switch around. I'm like, fuck all that. But I think there's a piece of it um, 
that you're not taking into account and that's just being around hot girls gives him a lot of validation and again like other like and i talk about this like if you go just go out with a hot girl even if she's your friend just being with that hot girl communicates so much it's like okay this dude's not a fucking weirdo you know if he's actually with this girl he probably could fuck you know what i mean if, you know probably doesn't have a small dick maybe he's rich like there has to be something about him why this hot chick is with him right so like just being around hot girls and, you know, and, and being comfortable around them, that's going to put him fucking light years ahead of anybody else, you know, that just goes out, you know, and is like, you know, bird dog and all the fucking girls at the bar by himself. You know, it's like, okay, is this guy a fucking rapist? Is this guy going to fucking like kill me? Like, you know what I mean? When you go to the club and you can see the guys and you can see that they have that like hunter instinct in their eyes of just trying to scheme on every possible chick. I mean, chicks feel that too. You Dude, know? They're like chicken hot. You know, it's like you fucking see them. Like, yeah, they're just like scoping the scene. It's like, it's just like, it's like very like predatory. And I get it, you know, it's like, I understand, like, I, I get that mentality, like, you know, the guy's going to the bar to get laid. That's literally the only reason I ever fucking went out was to get pussy. But I just, like, took a, like, a little bit of a less aggressive approach in the sense that, like, I, you know, a lot of these guys, like I said, they think that they just need to go hit on girls and just like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. Can I buy you a drink? Like, they, they demonstrate so much interest that it just pushes the girl off, you know? And so I think, like, the more like natural approach of just like having a conversation, you know, like having a drink with them, whatever, just not so much like communicating interest, I think is much better. You know? It's gotta be tough for these dudes these days though, when you meet a girl and you think you're making some inroads and then all of a sudden she's just getting flown out by fabulous or whoever. I don't know if fabulous is doing flyouts right now, but. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's a, it's a different world now. There's no two ways about it. I mean, the competition has gone up. Um, but then also the access to information has gone up too. You know, like you said, I mean, I, I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, but I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, it's similar principles to the game, you know, and I know by just reading the game that helped me just like understanding kind of like that thought process of like not being that guy that goes up to the super hot girl that everybody else has been kissing her ass and doing the same fucking thing that all these other guys have been doing, you know, counterintuitive things, um, that, you know, a lot of people don't think to do. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of things, man. It's like poker. It's like all these things, like the competition has gotten a lot harder, like UFC, like anything else, like competition has gone fucking up, but your ability to get good has also gone up. Like, Dude, when I was doing fucking MMA like 20-something fucking years ago, I was doing like judo, I was doing jujitsu. I didn't really know. You know what I mean? Nobody really knew what the best styles were. Like people were still taking fucking taekwondo, you know? And, uh, and I remember when I first read the quote of like all of the advancement in martial arts, like 99% of the advancement in martial arts has occurred in the last 20 years. Yeah. The UFC forced that to happen. And it's the same way that Instagram has created this level of competition for dating that we've never seen before. And poker and, you poker, know, so same many thing things. with the solvers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you see it. I mean, everybody, you know, like we're rapidly evolving as human beings, you know, and we're getting better at things. Um, and it's because we're figuring shit out, you know, it's like we're figuring out, okay, this is, you know, just even training, like scientifically training. I mean, I remember when I was doing the bike bed, I mean, 
I would go out there and look growing up. I thought like, you know, it was like Rocky. You'd go out and you just fucking run as hard as you could fucking run and you don't fucking stop. And that's the best. It's just it's not the way you do it. Like you go out, you train at a fucking target heart rate and like you can do a lot more volume and then, you know, you don't overtrain. It's like, yeah, you could go out and train like Rocky for a few days and you're going to fucking burn out. You're not going to recover and you know, you're not going to like make these gains. So doing things scientifically, it allows you to kind of like, you know, progress. And then also just you're learning the right things, you know, poker, for example, we didn't know what the right play was raising with a seven offsuit and under the gun. It's just never correct. You know what I'm saying? But we didn't, you know, there's this stuff that like, we didn't, didn't think you were supposed to do stuff. We didn't know, you know? And so now it's just, yeah, people are just getting better. So, do you, uh, do you have anybody that you consider yourself to be mentoring or that you're helping them come up in the game? Because I still find that even though there is all this information out there, I constantly run into like young people who are trying to get their shit going. And it's kind of shocking to me like how much guidance people still need. Whereas to me at 38, I'm like, all this shit's out there. This should be easy for you to figure out. Like how often do you take that role with somebody? You know, well, that was one of the things, you know, I took into account when I was writing the book is that I just wanted to, you know, a piece of that to kind of, you know, te- I want, you know, I wanted to accomplish a lot of things, which is why it was like so hard for me to do this and why I went through so many edits because A, I want to tell the story. B, I wanted to kind of like explain like how I was feeling through the progression of it, you know, like whatever. I want to tell the stories good. I want to be funny. Um, but I also want to teach people stuff, you know, and I think like throughout the book, there's, you know, little nuggets of, you know, information and things that I've learned and, um, you know, the psychology stuff with women and whatever. And, um, so I think, you know, it's like the game, for instance, you know, that was a book about like his, it wasn't really like a book on like how to pick up women. He didn't like line it out, but like, if you, you know, read the fucking book, you learned, you know? And so like, you know, while my book isn't about like how to pick up women, like reading through it, you start seeing like, okay, this works because of this. And like, you know, fame is effective, you know, there's, you know, social proofs, there's, you know, validation, there's, you know, all these things, right? Like, and, and I created this fucking tornado of like all of it at the same time. And that's why like it works so good, but like each of those things individually probably would have worked, you know, like I probably didn't need to like have all these things to like bang this chick. Right. Like I definitely like had overkill in a lot of these situations, but, um, I don't know, you know, to go back to your point, like for me, the biggest thing was like, I wanted the chick to be super into me. So the more things that I could like add on that would attract her or whatever, you know, the more into me she was and the better the sex was and and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, back to your question, I think any one of those things, would help. Like if, you know, um, you know, a guy got in better shape, if a guy made more money, you know, like all these things, you know, you kind of just like lean on the tools that you have, you know? Definitely. Last question. So you said in the book that you feel like you've been playing this video game and that you beat it a while ago and you're still just kind of repeating some of the actions that you were prior doing to try to beat the game. And when I look at your life, I am kind of like, holy shit, you kind of like, pretty much done like all that he could do pussy wise. I mean, you could keep running victory laps, but I mean, you know, it's kind of dumb the most that you could do there, you know, with the ignite thing, you've kind of proved that you could start a real business that could presumably exist outside of yourself. You just made a lot of money in general. What do you feel motivated by at this point? And what are the things that maybe stand out to you? Like, I really want to tick that off before I die. I want to become a billionaire. That's the last real thing on my bucket list because, and it's not really about the money. In fact, I'll probably end up just 
giving most of it away or not spending it or whatever. Maybe I'll even like downgrade my life. Actually, that was one of the things that I wanted to do the moment I become a billionaire is to like go work at Walmart for like six months, live in a shitty apartment and just like completely reset and do that. I've been meaning to do that for a while. Um, but that's kind of the last mountain that I want to climb. Um, and then I don't ever want to like do anything for money. Like I, I want to just only do things that I want to do. Like, cause right now I'm still like motivated by money. I'm still like trying to get to that fucking billion dollars. I, you know, I'm like doing work. I'm doing, you know, I'm fucking showing up at trade shows. I'm fucking doing shit that I don't want to do, you know? And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm posting on social media because it's good for my brand here and there, you know, granted I've like done less of it cause I'm so fucking over it. But like, I think when I get to that point, I'll be able to just never do shit I don't want to do, you know, never do anything because I want to make more money or like, you know, fucking cultivate a relationship because it'll help me with this. I just, none of it. Like, I'm just going to do things that make me happy and focus on, you know, shit that I want to do. And that's, that would be a big milestone for me. So. Sure. Well, thank you for your time. Honestly, it was a big goal of mine just to get an interview in with you and just hype that we finally got to make it happen. Yeah, man. Yeah. Good time. Thank you. Yeah. Dan. <laughs>